All right, are we live? Are we live? Let's see what's going on. Are we live? Excellent connection, it says. Okay. So there we are. Now, I don't know how to set a time uh, for... Oh, there's a little bit of a lag. I'm not sure what's up with that. I don't know how to set a time for these things so that you guys could get in before... I set this up, but this is the first live stream. It's going to be a little hodgepodge. That is totally okay. But welcome, everybody, to the first live stream of the channel. Um, one of you had mentioned Super Chats. I don't know how to set that up. I think I have to become like a partner with YouTube or with Google or something like this. And so I guess this is going to be a little bit of a pitch because you have to apply to be a YouTube partner. And Powell is speaking right now. Oh, interesting. But you got to be a partner, so maybe I should make this somewhat of a sales pitch of sorts to Google so that they can like me, so that I can get money from them, or I can give them money. They're going to take, I guess, 40% of the cut, but, uh, you know, maybe we ought to not talk about the Bolshevik takeover. Maybe we shouldn't talk about the bioweapon attack. Maybe we shouldn't talk about inflation getting out of control, the big tech oligarchy. Maybe we shouldn't talk about these things, guys. Maybe we should just talk about how great the sexualization of the children is in the public schools. Maybe we should talk about how awesome central bank digital currencies are and how I want to be tracked. And I was listening to this lady yesterday. She was talking about how it's not going to be the Internet of things. It's going to be the Internet of bodies <laughs> because we're going to go to, you know, like a microchip system. We're going to be integrated into the Internet itself. And I think I've started to see articles already where they're starting to put nanoparticles into the food. And who knows if these nanoparticles have like geolocation on them. Who knows like if they've got some connection with 5G so that if they change the frequency, it changes you. I don't know, man. It's a wild world. It is a wild world. So, Josh, you had mentioned Entropy. Um, I looked at Entropy. I think I have to have a DLive account in order to get that set up. Um, I think we're going to figure that out maybe a little bit later. But I'll just check out y'all's comments as uh, we go through the video here. It's a long live stream that I have for you guys today. Uh, and let me know what's going on with Powell. I'm not going to put it up because we just already have like five hours of things to go through. And in that case, please pray for me because uh, I know my tongue could get a little bit tired over time. I could start to slip the words. And the demons could try to integrate themselves into me and speak on their behalf, which we, of course, don't want. So... We have a lot to go through. We have a lot to go through. But let me know what's going on with you guys. I'm so happy to have this live stream so that we could all get together finally. Uh, this is new to me. This is the first one. So uh, let me know how you like it. Let me know how you like it. Uh, and just to be clear, I have not been abducted by the feds. <laughs> there is somebody who commented on the last video. They're like, dude, where you been, man? Where you been? Did you get abducted by the feds finally? Did they come for you? No, no. Uh, and if I did, maybe they did. Maybe I'm working for them now. Uh, but no, I've just been uh, needing to get back into the workforce. I've been needed to. Uh, oh, YouTube is not receiving enough video to maintain smooth streaming. How is it looking on y'all's end? Let me know. Please give feedback. And maybe there's like a 60-second thing I have on here. Let me see if I can change that real quick. 15 seconds. I'm just going to change it to five. 
spam me if you will. But yeah, I've been needing to get back into the workforce. We've had some interesting things happen in the last week. First great thing was I got baptized into the Orthodox Church finally. And some of you know that I've been working like my tail off on my uh, catechism ever since the beginning of the channel and even before that. And I've been trying to uh, really get this baptismal process done. Uh, not as if it's just a thing I need to do, a checkbox to whatever, but uh, just with everything going on in the world, uh, I felt it to be very, very important that I get cleansed and I have my sins forgiven and I prepare myself for what is to come uh, because the world is getting kind of crazy out there. And the people at my church recognize this too. I mean, there are people flooding into the church to get baptized and my spiritual father is actually expediting the catechism process in order to get more people baptized because he's looking at the same thing we are. And he's talking about how maybe the church is going to have to go underground at some point. There are other spiritual fathers in the church saying that we could be going to... Uh, oh, am I frozen? Here, let me just go to the other thing. We could be... How, how am I doing? Sorry, my computer has like a hundred tabs open, so it, it's a little bit slow at the moment. Uh, anyways, I'm just gonna keep talking. But yeah, other fathers are saying there could be something going on in 2024. They're looking at the whole Mark of the Beast system rolling out, so there are some concerns going on in the church, and so we're really working to uh, facilitate things. And thank you, Tony. I see you now. Uh, many years. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it really was quite a process and quite an experience. Like first, when you get baptized in the Orthodox Church, you have to go through an exorcism. Like they uh, say to you exorcism prayers, and uh, you spit on the devil, literally. <laughs> you step out of the church and <laughs> you spit on the devil, which is awesome. And... Uh, you get back in, you say the creed three times, you say some other prayers, and then you go in, you get uh, like the oil of gladness anointed upon you, which isn't the chrismation oil, uh, it's a different kind of oil, but that prepares you for the dunk. And then you get dunked, you get the chrism uh, anointed on you, and then that's the process. You go to uh, liturgy afterwards, and then you get your first communion. Uh, and you're dressed in white robes so as to uh, signify your purity after baptism because you, after being baptized, are the most pure of everybody in the church. And I, that sounds prideful, but it's the opposite. And I felt that. I really did feel that, especially after I received the Eucharist for the first time in the Orthodox Church. And my brother of the fount, which is what they call whoever gets baptized with you, and I have a sister of the fount too, uh, we experienced the same thing. Like we met up a day later and we talked about our experience and it really is, you are just overflowing with love. And look, I come from a rational background. I've studied secular philosophy for many years. Uh, I was an atheist for a long time, Buddhism, Taoism. I was a seeker for many, many years. And I can tell you as sure as I'm sitting here, when you get baptized, it becomes more real than you could imagine. And it doesn't become real on like, the rational, uh, you know, two plus two equals four sense. Like it's on a spiritual level. Like your noose is completely clean and you can interpret and identify things in the spiritual sense 
that you couldn't before. And you just feel an overabundance of love. You barely even think about yourself. You're thinking genuinely about the well-being of the people around you, how much you would love to sacrifice for those people. And it is just an amazing experience. He had the same experience too, and he comes from the same background. You know, he read Mises, and he was in a secular philosophy. And those are the types of people typically who are ending up at the church, are just really inquisitive people, are seekers, uh, many libertarians actually. And, you know, now they're more so Byzantine theocrats, right? Christian theocrats. I still don't know where I am on that. Uh, Let me know what you guys think about Christian theocracy. (laughs) I know that's going to turn off maybe some of the libertarian bros tuning in, but uh, that seems to be the position of the church. Like, the point of government is to protect the people on the bottom, the weakest among everybody, from the evils of the world. Uh, And it's not just protecting them from other nation states and other invaders and uh, criminals and thieves and people like this, but it's to protect them from debauchery. It's to protect them from, uh, you know, movies which traumatize them, like freaky movies, you know. I mean, people look at authoritarian regimes, they're like, why are they banning these movies? Why are they banning these books? Uh, Why is pornography banned in this country? Isn't that so terrible? (laughs) You know, it's just like, is it though? Is it really that terrible? What extent, what credence can we give government to protect their population? Now, of course, the argument is you can't trust governments to do that because the worst among everybody makes their way into the government because they want to attain power. They want to have leverage over other people. They want to fill that dark part of their soul. Uh, Yes, yes, there are arguments for that, and I totally understand that, especially in this environment that we're in. Uh, You can only anticipate that the worst among us become politicians, right? Because they want power, they want uh, those things that are granted by the earth, right? But are not granted spiritually. Uh, It's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting conversation. Uh, There seems to be an affinity for like a czarist government in orthodoxy, where you have a king, a monarch, ordained by God, who then protects his flock, sort of like the Pope does. But then again, not really, (laughs) because... It, it, that he's not the head of the church. He's just a head of the political governmental organization that is to protect a certain sect of people in a geographic land zone, right? We know what government is, but that's not to say that he's in charge of the church. You wouldn't want someone like that. Uh, that's why the Orthodox Church is autocephalous. You don't have that central point of failure problem. Either way, I'm starting to ramble. Uh, but it was quite an experience, and I felt a lot of grace after the baptism, and it really was uh, a really wonderful experience. But, but, whenever we feel that sense of grace, whenever we feel that love, and we feel connected with God on that deep level, it's only a matter of time before you get the tests of your faith. And a day after my baptism, and a, the day of my second communion, I went to have dinner with my family. It was a wonderful dinner, and as I was coming back, it was a little bit wet out there. Uh, I was driving on the highway. I was going like you know seventy miles an hour, just joy riding. There's nobody really out there, uh, but all of a sudden, and look, I, I don't know if I was distracted just because I was feeling so much wonderful grace, but this semi truck was just seated on the right part of the highway, like in the right lane. Now, I've never seen that in my life. I've never seen just a semi-truck just sitting on the highway like that. 
And apparently this is an increasing occurrence, according to my buddy Neil. Like, he uh, had to swerve past somebody who was just sitting in the left lane in their SUV, which is even more crazy. But, yeah, I didn't see this thing uh, until I was, like, 50 yards away. I swerved left, and then I swerved way too much. And then I try to correct, but I overcorrect and hydroplane into the semi-truck. And I'm going, you know, 65 miles an hour, really fast. And so it just completely totals my car. I slam into this thing. Uh, I go like 580 degrees and I spin across the highway down into the ditch, into the median. And next thing I know, I am looking up airbags deployed, everything. My car is everywhere. Uh, you know, smoke is emanating from the hood of my car, windshield cracked and everything like that. And I'm like, damn, I just, I just slammed into a semi truck. Uh, I probably got some problem, <laughs> some serious problem with me. And so I checked around my body, just tapping myself all over the place. And uh, I was like, okay, I think I'm all right somehow. And I, I was like double checking myself. I was pitching myself. I'm like, certainly either I'm half dead or this is heaven. Certainly this can't be heaven. <laughs> and, you know? and so I get out of the car and I just begin to walk around. Now, of course, I'm shaking like a leaf. But the driver comes on over to me, and he's, like, sort of just walking in kind of like a circumspect way. Like, am I looking at a ghost right now? What's up with this guy? Uh, And so he comes on over. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? You doing all right over there? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what's your name? And I'm like, "Uh, Matt. And I'm like, what's yours? He's like, I'm Travis, or whatever his name was. And uh, he's like, look, man, I... You've been in a pretty bad accident. You ought to sit down for a sec. And I'm like, no, nah, I think I'm all right. He's like, I don't think so. <laughs> he just sent my semi-truck going like 60 miles an hour. Seven, and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I'll take a seat. But how are you doing? And blah, blah, blah. Like five cops come, uh, a couple ambulances, et cetera. And so they sit me on the ground. And, uh, you know, they've got like the trauma specialist and everything like that looking up my body and she's like, Hey honey, you've been in a bad wreck. And she's like holding up the fingers, asking me my name, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, I, I think I'm totally all right. She's like, no, you're not all right. You probably got some internal bleeding or something like that. Uh, you're going to have to go to the hospital. And I'm like, no, it's not happening. I'm not going to the hospital. She's like, no, they're going to put a net brace on you. You're going to be put on a flat bed. We're going to take you to the hospital and get you checked out. And I'm like, no, it's not happening <laughs> because you know, I don't have health insurance. And if I'm not dead now, I will be after you take me to the hospital, you know, because medical care is ridiculous in the United States. And so I was like, no, I'm completely fine. I promise. And the medical people are just kind of like looking at each other. The cops are like, okay, they're like checking out the car and they're like looking at me. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally fine. Totally fine. I have like a little scratch right here, but that's it. And uh, I was praying a lot. I was praying a lot afterwards because I knew by the grace of God, just looking at my car and then looking at me, that I just made it out of something miraculous. And even the Geico guy called yesterday, the insurance guy, is just like, hey, bro, got some good news for you. Your car's totaled. <laughs> we'll pay you for it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing fine, brother. And he's like, dude, I, I looked at the car and frankly, I don't know if you should be here right now because we don't see these, we don't see accidents like these and people walking out feeling hop, skip, and a step. You know what I mean? 
And uh, I'm like, yeah, totally fine by the grace of God. And I remember before I swerved into the truck, like I had this feeling come over me because I knew I was about to slam into this thing. I didn't know it was going to happen after, but I had this feeling come over me. Time slowed down and I just knew with absolute certainty that I was going to be completely fine. Like I knew it. And I don't know if that was like the guardian angel communicating with me. I don't know what that was, but yeah, I was completely fine. It was a miracle, but car was totaled. And so at that point I was like, okay, well, uh, you know, given prior circumstances, which had happened, which I had told you guys about uh, a couple months ago with like the crypto hack that I had. And then, uh, you know, just other things going on in my personal life. It's like, okay, I got to get back to work. Uh, but that said, uh, I think that we've made a lot of great videos here on the channel. I think that all of the videos that we've made over the last three, four months, I think we've been doing this, are still 100% relevant. Every single one of them. Uh, all the arguments about Monero going nuclear uh, because people are going to have to use the black market more because we are starting to see this two-tiered medical apartheid society come into being, this two-tiered economy, where you have the people who are going along with the system to be part of the regulated economy, and then the people who are not. Uh, there are going to be increasingly people who are not. And they're going to need something like Monero as we go into the cashless society in order to engage in the black market. Not only that, but inflation is getting out of control. We've talked about that. We're going to talk more about that today. And how Monero plays into that. Um, our arguments about Bitcoin being suboptimal, uh, Monero being much, much better, and Monero being very, very useful in everyday transactions because of its low transaction cost, because of its very quick transaction speed, uh, its scalability, and everything we've talked about recently with Arctic Mine. Uh, I mean, everything is still completely relevant. I don't even know why I need to continue to make videos about it. But what I will do is I'll make like little snippets and I'll put those out because that's something that I think is lacking out there are like little two-minute cuts of good arguments for why Monero is great. Uh, because most of the videos you find are like, you know, half an hour or an hour at least on my channel. And, uh, you know, Monero Talk and Kevin, like we go deep into stuff. We're thinkers. We like to philosophically approach these matters and get into the technicals and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you do need little snippets because people's attention spans are pretty much zero, right? So I'll get working on putting some of those out so that we could share those around, uh, just get little good nuggets to people to chew on, and uh, we'll see where we go from there. But, um, yeah. We've uh, experienced some trials and tribulations, but we're okay. We're doing absolutely fantastic. I hope that you guys are as well. And that is just how I want to kind of open this up. I'm happy to be here with you guys on the first live stream, and hopefully I can make this like a weekly thing because uh, I'd love to just catch up with you guys and kind of, you know, enjoy the decline with you, <laughs> you know, just looking at everything going on. But we do have some good developments going on. So how about we just get into the content uh, there are no super chats on the video. I'm not uh, hooked up for anyone who's just entered recently. Uh, if you have anything you want to say, any questions, just go ahead and comment and I'll check it out. So let's go ahead and talk first about some crypto developments. Uh, and obviously you guys are probably aware, but they're getting freaking nuked. <laughs> not in the most best way. And again, forgive my computer. It's a little bit slow because I've got a bazillion tabs pulled up. It's going to be a little bit of a longer stream today. 
But let's go to our lovely trade ogre. What's going on? So a pirate chain's just been absolutely sinking. Uh, cannonballs have been fired. Holes have been found in the belly. The nave is compromised. It looks like we are now down under a dollar for pirate chain. So, yeah, getting nuked. Is it a good dip buying opportunity? I'll leave that up to you. Uh, but Haven is also getting hit pretty hard. Darrow's getting hit. Uh, down to $10. Pretty crazy. But this is what you'd expect with smaller cap cryptos, no matter what the fundamentals are, really. So it doesn't bother me a bit. And, of course, our lovely Monero, down to $185. And, you know, could we even say it's declined? <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's just been trading in this range for a good long while. Doesn't really bother me at all. So, yeah, things are going down a little bit. What are the reasons for that? Well, gold and silver are going down too, and we just got an inflation print that said that inflation is the highest that it's been in the last 40 years. Okay. So with that being the case, why are these things going down? You think people are like, oh, inflation's getting out of control. Let's go ahead and get into inflation hedges. Let's go into other currencies. But the reason the market reacts like this, uh, and I just want to continue to check this out. Uh, Evergrande, yeah, we talked about that on the channel too. Good to see you, Mr. Moon. Do I think it's a bear market? It could be. Alan, good to see you as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think it is a bear market. But here's what I want to just comment on real quick. Let's see here. Because the market is run by algorithms, and because these algorithms are being programmed to think that whenever there's a high inflation uh, print, that the Fed is going to see this and react rationally in the sense of raising rates and by uh, tapering their bond buying programs, etc. Well, uh, people think that that means the dollar is going to strengthen and the inflation hedges are going to go down. Now, it's completely ludicrous, th this type of thinking. If the Fed was going to raise rates and they're going to taper their program, they would have done it a long time ago because they know inflation is getting out of control, right? I mean, before 2020, they said, hey, we can't get enough inflation, <laughs> right? What we're trying to do is we're trying to keep rates low and we're trying to monetize the system because we're actually in a deflationary situation. And we have so much debt that if we don't continue to provide liquidity, we're going to have like a chain reaction take place where maybe some people can't pay the debts, then those people can't pay the debts, and then you have like a deflationary shockwave move through the system. And so they needed to continue to monetize it. That was their argument. To some degree, that's true. But they said that if inflation does get out of control a little bit, well, we have the tools to handle that. We can just raise rates. But as Peter Schiff talks about all the time, it's a monetary roach motel. Because if there's so much debt in the system, which has been introduced to monetize the system to keep the deflationary spiral from taking place, well, the deflationary capacity is that much bigger now, right? It's like you're guaranteeing long-term deflation in order to stave that short-term deflation off if that makes sense, by introducing inflation. And now, I mean, Powell just came out recently and said, yeah, we're going to have to retire the word transitory because <laughs> they said, yeah, there's no inflation. Oh, if there is inflation, it's transitory. And then they said it's not transitory now, and now they're starting to say it's good. And as we're going to get to later, you have MarketWatch coming out and saying that it's a relief 
<laughs> in some corners of the market. It's a relief. So whenever you go to the grocery store, guys, and you see the prices rising and you start to sweat a little bit and you start to think to yourself, oh, if this continues to go on, I don't know how I'm going to survive. No, you should be relieved. You should be relieved with starving to death, <laughs> you know, but it's wild. We'll get to that. But uh, because of that dynamic taking place, people thinking that the Fed is going to raise rates and taper as a result of high inflation prints, well then, the dollar becomes stronger. People buy the dollar. They sell these assets, and that is what we're seeing now. And if you are aware of the end game, uh, these are dips to buy, in my opinion. I'm not giving financial advice. So one thing I want to talk about in regards to crypto right now is... A development that came out with chain analysis. So chain analysis now supports the Lightning Network. Now, you may recall that the IRS has bounties for both Monero as well as the Lightning Network. But if you can get channels that are set up and actively monitored by chain analysis in these data analytics companies or firms that just employ these companies... And Arctic Mind seems to think that in order for the Lightning ne Network to work, you, you've got to have tremendous amounts of centralization take place. Well, they're going to employ uh, firms like Chainalysis to watch what's going on on the blockchain. And that's going to be a problem, right? And we've come to more on the Lightning Network with issues surrounding that. I mean, it's going to have to be centralized in order to work. It's going to have to be centralized. Right now, it doesn't have the liquidity, but... Uh, in order for it to be adequately developed, it's going to have to be centralized. And why engage in the Lightning Network if you've got Monero to begin with, right? I mean, you can do micropayments with Monero, and they're incredibly cheap. They basically cost nothing. And the more people that use Monero, incredible things happen. You get a bigger anonymity set, number one, but number two, you get cheaper transactions because of the, the dynamic block size. So with all that being considered, why get all confusing and fancy with setting up your own liquidity channels, monitoring the, your liquidity, setting up a new node, blah, blah, blah. Right? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? So Bitcoin making less and less sense, but Seth for privacy. Good lad. Go follow him. He says, what do you think this should tell you? The fact that Chainalysis doesn't support Monero, but they support Lightning Network, Bitcoin, and Zcash. And there are some interesting things to say about Zcash. Uh, it's pretty much backed by a corporation. It's favored by the Digital Currency Group, which we've talked about here on the channel, which is sort of like an insider uh, group consisting of folks from the legacy financial system that are vertically integrating the new crypto financial system into a coherent model for their uses. Uh, they have stakes in many, many exchanges. They have stakes in firms like Chainalysis. They're all about blockchain surveillance. And their favorite privacy coin, quote-unquote, is Zcash, which is also going to proof of stake. And we talked about the issues with that with Arctic Mine, where, you know, if somebody wants to short the proof of stake coin, what they can do is they can become like a big staker in the proof of stake ecosystem, own a lot of coins, and then they, they could screw something up in the validation process, in the consensus mechanism, because they have that power. And if they have a big enough short to profit from that, well, then uh, that could be a problem. So... Note that Chainalysis won a contract from the IRS to trace both Lightning and Monero in September 2020 for year one and have only announced Lightning Network support. I wonder why. So, yep. 
Seth says Monero makes privacy easy and approachable for everyone and cheap to transact in. And we've talked about some other privacy issues with the Lightning Network. Some of them seem to be intrinsic uh, with just the system. And some people think it's going to be better once they integrate Tor into that. Again, why not just use Monero? Why are we getting so fancy? So, more comments on this from Potoshi S. And I'll make sure to uh, check back with you guys on the comments. Let's see what's going on. Pal just announced the speed up of tapering. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. Um, I imagine things are dumping as a result of that. Arctic Mine claims lightning is not traceable if I'm correct. Uh, Yes, but he argues that it's very centralized, and that is an issue. That is an issue. Oh, man, didn't get alerted for this live stream. Uh, What's up, Monero Juanta? Oh, that's a good name, Monero Juanta. I like it. Or Monero Juana. I like it. So, this is retweeted by our friend Rafael Laverde. Good guy. People are dismissing the chain analysis announcement about how they can now surveil Lightning Network like whatever. Who's going to use their channels? Duh. Of course, I forgot every Bitcoin user is an expert cypherpunk ready to follow the dozen steps recommended to keep their privacy. Right. I think we've retweeted this before, but yeah, privacy is easy with Monero and you know, with Bitcoin. And I remember reading this on like a Reddit page somewhere and they're like, privacy is super easy with Bitcoin. All you got to do is you got to mix it up in Samurai Wallet. You got to upload it to the Lightning Network. You round it through there a couple times. You take it out. Then you send it to Wasabi. You shuffle it up there a little bit. Then you send it back through the Lightning Channels. Then you send it back to yourself. Then you send it here, send it there. So it's like, okay, why don't you just use Monero? And I imagine what's going to happen because there are other developments going on with Monero and atomic swaps, what people could do is they could just use the new Taproot upgrade because what Taproot does is it makes it so that any transaction on Bitcoin uh, looks like any other transaction. So if you're going to the Lightning Network, it looks like a transaction with a friend or it looks like a transaction for an atomic swap. They all look the same. They're indistinguishable. doesn't mean it's not tracked or traced, They'll be able to see it going from your wallet, but they just can't determine that you're using an atomic swap. I imagine what a lot of people are going to do is they're going to instead use Monero as a way to just shuffle this stuff out, which means more use case for Monero. Uh, Now, who knows what the premiums are going to be for people who are going to be uh, using that service because a lot of Monero bros are not going to give up their Monero for Bitcoin. They're just not. Uh, You're going to have to find people who see the value in having Bitcoin instead of Monero. And as far as I'm concerned, maybe the value that you get from Bitcoin instead of Monero is just staking it. And not staking it, but like loaning it out for capital, for an interest rate. Because uh, I don't know if you can do that for Monero right now, um, but you can do that with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, of course, serves as a liquidity pool. But that's going to change once Havana comes out, which is going to be an easy way to use Monero to go from your Monero to many other cryptocurrencies privately. That's going to be huge. I'm telling you, it's going to be huge. But that decreases the value proposition for Bitcoin, increases it for Monero. And a lot of people are going to make sense of this once they start to use that service to make their Bitcoin private. Right? So that's something to note. Rafael Laverde is coming out with some pretty good content lately. Go check him out. I was going to do an interview with him like a couple months ago, I think. But uh, he got caught up going to Florida. And now I'm caught up with this. At some point, I think we'll meet. At some point. And again, I apologize for my 
computer lagging. It's just part of the game. Let's see what's going on with you guys. By the way, I have a killer app idea in the gaming space. Monero Midnight Club Street Racing. Let's go. That sounds pretty based. Assetto Corsa already has a ton of street racing mods. The only thing missing is a betting and referee feature. Okay, that sounds pretty based, dude. Sounds dope. Yeah, and the Evergrande situation is pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I might have to make another video on that. So let's see if this is loaded yet. Oh, no. All right. I might just have to wait for this to load. No big deal. I've got like a bazillion tabs pulled up. Anyway, so how are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? We've got 17 viewers. Very good, very good. Monero is the for the libertarians as Bitcoin was intended to be. Yeah, I mean, an interesting mental exercise is what would the crypto space be like and what would the world be like if Monero came out before Bitcoin, right? Because the value proposition from the Bitcoin bro perspective behind Bitcoin is that it's first. And as the biggest network effect, everybody knows Bitcoin and associates Bitcoin with uh, cryptocurrency, blockchain. So it has that name recognition. It's like whenever you think of soda, what do you think of? You think of Coke. Whenever you think of crypto, people think of Bitcoin. Like people use those two interchangeably. Like when people talk about Bitcoin, like they're talking about crypto. You know what I mean? Like they don't even distinguish that. We're not even at that stage yet. But uh, that is just something to note. If it was Monero first, I mean, it'd be a totally different world. It'd be a totally different world. Oh, goodness. How are we doing? How are we doing? Oh, we've gone black. Baby, gone back. All right. Now this is freezing here. But it doesn't seem like it freezes for you guys. Just my computer. So. I'll see if I can edit this out later. Shoot. I don't think we need this. Oh, we did need that. Okay, we'll we'll do it later. All right, we're back. Cool. The Lightning Network is not Bitcoin. It is simulation Bitcoin. You are being lied to. It is not decentralized, as it only works via centralized liquidity pools and is not private, as it opens itself up to a myriad of cyber attacks. So, Rafael Laverde, pretty smart guy. He's got a lot to say about Bitcoin SV. We talked about that with... Arctic Mine as well. He's got some issues with Bitcoin SV, mainly just the cap, the supply cap. But the issues with the supply cap are going to be run into uh, within a few years. And so it's not an immediate concern for a lot of people. The immediate concern is everything else that's going on, <laughs> like the inflation that's getting out of control, uh, which is why I think a lot of people are getting into Bitcoin. But look, if you're in it for the long-term play, you want to get into Monero. You want to get into Monero. 
and the gains to be had in Bitcoin, I think, are still uh, limited compared to those with Monero. I think it's a bubble. I think Bitcoin's a total bubble. But who knows when people figure this out. If I were to choose between Bitcoin and gold, I'd rather have gold. And this is an interesting tweet by Jordan Peterson, who's become a little bit more based lately. You know, Jordan Peterson, it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, and we'll get to this later because we're going to talk about the medical tyranny going on and the vax and everything like that. But Jordan Peterson got the vaccine. He got double doses. He got double dipped. And he thought that he was going to get his liberties back from the Canadian government. He thought that if he got the vax, the government would leave him alone. Now, this is somebody who has spent his life researching, analyzing, and lecturing on authoritarian governments. And the interesting thing is, he didn't realize he was in an authoritarian situation. And so it's just sort of like one of these fish in the fishbowl type things. It's like you can't notice everything that's going on around you. You can't notice the water that you're swimming in because you've just been in it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that a lot of people are in that situation. They have like a Stockholm syndrome going on. I'm not saying Peterson has that. He doesn't anymore. He's woken up to the reality of what's happening. Because uh, now they say, even if you're vaxxed, even if you're masked up, you've got to, you know, get swabbed every time you want to leave the country and go into the country. And you've got to have your vax card. So pretty crazy. And so now he's woken up to this. He's talking a lot about, uh, you know, the climate scam and how that's just basically a grift to have central banks continue to print money and to transfer wealth from the poor to the rich. Uh, and he says in this tweet, he says, what will save us from surveillance? Because this article from FP is only surveillance can save us from coronavirus. So, and we see this with, uh, we see this with South Korea. They just implemented facial recognition cameras everywhere in the country, uh, or at least they're making that initiative now. And they're doing that under the pretext of this helps us identify who certain people who have the disease are getting in contact with, and we can make these data maps. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about before of people being integrated into the internet of bodies, right? We've talked about the internet of things here on the channel. But it's going to be an internet of bodies, okay? It's part of the transhumanist agenda. But I said, in response to Jordan's question here, and what will save us from surveillance, I said Monero. For one, for one. That's one thing that will. And that's going to help us build parallel economies, which is becoming just ever more important right now. Because you look at Germany, you look at Austria, you look at other places. The unvaxxed are being kicked out of the economy. Lithuania, I mean, this has been going on for months. And it's not just going to be you need to get two jabs in order to be reintroduced into the economy. You're going to need to get, get your booster. And who knows if there's another disease which comes out of the woodwork, right, that you need to be inoculated against there. And who knows if this morphs into a social credit type system, right? And this is already taking place in China, where if you don't have a high enough social credit, you can't get on planes, you can't get on trains, you get your credentials maybe taken away from you if you don't toe the line. This is already happening in the United States and in the West. If you tell people that the vaccine is dangerous as a doctor, you could lose your license or you could get sued and you could lose your job, right? And it's kind of crazy what's going on. 
But they're going to be able to more easily do this for everybody who wants to be part of the regulated economy with the technologies that they're rolling out as a result of this pandemic. So that's something to look for. Eric Voorhees, this is uh, commenting on Australia drafting plans to regulate Bitcoin and digital assets. And the Bitcoin Archive says this effectively legalizes Bitcoin. But Voorhees has an interesting comment here. He says, things don't become legal by regulation. Things are legal by default. Things can only become illegal by regulation. I think that's right. Or just controlled by authoritarians, which is a point that I'm about to make here. Don't let status pretend they are granting you things. So the Bitcoin Archive says something interesting down here, and he's quoting somebody from the Federal Treasurer of Australia. He says, Australia has an opportunity to be among the leading countries in the world in leveraging. Notice that word, leveraging, this new technology. Now, of course, we've all been well aware of everything that's been going on in Australia. Uh, It's a total authoritarian prison state right now. I mean, we look at China, we're like, whoa, that's scary. They have social credit. They're like welding people in their homes and things. Like, dude, Australia is like worse than China right now. It's crazy how far it's devolved. Now, I know that this is area-specific. I think Victoria, Queensland, and some other provinces are embracing this authoritarianism like totally. But Western Australia, which is the resource uh, part of Australia, uh, according to my buddy Jesse, uh, who is from Australia, that's been largely left alone. Probably because that's where a lot of GDP comes from, right? They understand where the money comes from. And so, but that said, Australia wants to leverage a technology that Pompliano calls the most transparent technology in the world. And he says it as a good thing, right? But when it's adopted by governments, is it a good thing? Does this not make you question things? And I said here, Australia has the opportunity to become... uh, one of the leading countries in the world, leveraging this new technology. And so I said, so a totalitarian regime wants to leverage what Pomp calls the most transparent system in the world. End note that Australia cracked down on exchanges listing Monero. So just piece these things together, right? What does this mean? What does this mean? What do you guys think? Let me know what you guys think. Uh, I think it's something worthy to note. Did I lose you guys? Uh, Let's see here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So I had to open this up in a different browser, and it doesn't work as good as the others. Let me just open this back up. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Uh, Let's see here. Are we still live? All right. Can you guys hear me? Are we still here? Okay. All right. So can you guys see me? Did I slip out there for a sec? 
comment if you can hear me, if you can see me. Yep. Did I cut out? Can you guys comment if I cut out? Still going. You can hear me? Okay. I don't know what I skipped, though. Okay, I'm good. Power chain. All right, cool. <laughs> what are you guys talking about in here? Genalysis. Okay, yep. Uh, Fluffy Pony said we would eventually need a lightning network to be able to scale on Monero. Well, Doug on Monero Talk did an interesting talk with somebody recently about that. I haven't seen it yet. Let me go know what you guys think. Never cut out. Okay, thank you. Perfect. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, all right, let's get back. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. We haven't even gotten to the fun stuff yet. <laughs> we have so much to get to. <laughs> We're going to dive deep into the depths of the abyss of what's going on. But I just wanted to talk about crypto a little bit. Because, again, we are Monero Mateo. We talk about the updates. So, some good things, some good news. Just to white pill you guys a little bit before we really get black pilled <laughs> about everything going on. Uh, we're pleased to share that Elizabethurium, which is a base name, is exploring Monero to ERC-20 atomic swaps. Eager to contribute in the endeavor to connect the leading smart contract blockchain and the home of DeFi with the leading privacy-preserving blockchain. Yes, so that's cool. She is the one who is behind doing atomic swaps between Monero and Ethereum, uh, which is going to be huge. And with Monero opening itself up to so many different cryptos for atomic swaps, trustless peer-to-peer uh, -peer and private exchange that isn't based on a centralized exchange, as we just talked about, Monero was kicked off a lot of centralized exchanges in Australia, that's going to mean more liquidity is going to go into Monero, which means that, uh, who knows, number go up, <laughs> or adoption at least goes up. And with everything that is going on in regards to Monero shorts and some of the stuff that we've talked about in regards to price manipulation, uh, that would make that less of a concern and less of a risk. And we still don't know if this is something being done on purpose to suppress Monero. Arctic Mind seems to think that it's just technical. Uh, people are looking at charts. People are kind of ignoring the fundamentals going on with Monero and all the great things going on. But uh, he thinks it's technical. Uh, some other people think it's something higher than that because we see manipulation going on in silver and gold as well, which are like legitimate, real, private, by the way, uh, competing currencies to the dollar and to these fiat currencies. Maybe they see Monero in a similar way, and so they're trying to suppress it. There's a theory about that as well. And lastly, let's talk about Haveno. Uh, Haveno is coming along really awesomely, and I'm really excited to see this rollout. I think we're probably a few months away from its rollout. They're working on the website. They're working on the design. Uh, this is pulsating, which is cool. <laughs> I mean... They have some work being done, opening Monero to the world. I mean, opening Monero to the universe, more like it. I did a video talking about how Monero is like opening portals to different dimensions, from like Cake Wallet, making it so that you could buy Monero with cash on the Cake Wallet app, uh, which makes it so that, you know, you don't have to go to the depths of Mordor <laughs> to go into Trade Ogre and buy it there. You can just go on Cake Wallet, which is easy to download, set up your credit card, and buy Monero there with cash. Uh, and... Other companies are doing the same thing too. I think Monero Ujo, you can do that. Uh, of course, you still have local Monero, which is available in every country, even Australia. So that shouldn't be too big of an issue. But Monero is opening up to the world right now. And there's a lot more liquidity which could be opened up to it. Havana will be a non-custodial decentralized exchange for crypto. 
and national currencies. Now, this is just key, and I'm curious how this is going to work. Because if we go into an environment where we have CBDC, central bank digital currencies, being used by almost every country, which we are seeing being developed uh, in coordination with MasterCard, by the way, uh, Havana existing is going to literally be like the Santa Maria that people can just hop onto and sail to a new world. Not really, uh, but you know it's going to be something like that because it's going to be a way out of the tyranny which is coming. If you can trade national currencies for Monero, oh, it's going to be huge. It's going to be epic. It's going to be epic. I'm curious what you guys think about that. Uh, I'm surprised, like the feds, I don't even know if I should say this, but dude, if I was like Janet Yellen or something like this, or if I was in the CIA or if I was like a deep bankster insider, right? Dude, I'd be looking at Havana as like the number one threat in the world right now. Like forget about Russia, forget about China, aliens. <laughs> We're hearing more about aliens. But dude, like this is going to make it so that people can exit the system. Seriously. And if you can trade your money directly for Monero and other private cryptos that you can transact with outside of the system, that is just unbelievably huge. I can't, I can't uh, understand that. Understand that. Yeah. So easy to use, non-custodial, built on Monero, built on Tor. So pretty awesome stuff going on. Let me close this tab right here because I've just got so much open. I need the space. Uh, we frozen again. Close. All right. So how are we doing here? Let's check on the comments. Frozen there as well. Let me just pull up the next thing. So we're going to talk about inflation now. There is some things going on with inflation. And it's like at some point the, the Fed is not going to be able to bluff anyone anymore. I was talking about this with my buddy Jesse. They're going to have to cook up some other variant. <clears throat> They're going to have to have some other deflationary impulse to blame uh, a market crash on and to justify further stimulus because they have to keep the system alive through continual monetization of the debt and continual money printing. They can't stop. They can't. There's too much debt. Uh, and if they do raise rates in this environment and they crash things, everyone's going to blame them. So they need some kind of external thing to blame all this stuff on. Now, I've been thinking a little bit that China does too because of the whole uh, Evergrande situation. Because Evergrande has defaulted now, and we told you a couple months back that they would, and there would be no bailout, and certainly that's what's happened. But if things get bad enough, because I think 70% of all the retail money in China is in real estate over there, property development. It's one of the biggest sectors, asset classes in the world, is Chinese real estate. <clears throat> and if that goes down... Uh, that's a problem. And every empire that has internal conflicts and has internal problems brewing, they need an external enemy to focus and direct that anger and attention towards. With China, that could be Taiwan. And for the United States, therefore, that could be China or Russia. And so war is typically one way that the elites, when they get into trouble 
redirect attention, focus, and uh, contention. But with nuclear weapons, and now with China having these hypersonic missiles, which could like literally fly around the world five times and land within a target range of like 20 miles, you don't want that, okay? Uh, nobody's safe now. And America used to be like an island that could ship weapons over here and ship men over here and finance these groups over here because we're like our own little enclave. You know, we've got two oceans to the side of us. And that's why in World War II, we became such a rich country because the war wasn't fought on American soil. Like we're the ones arming the war, financing the war, lend lease to the communists, etc. Meanwhile, in Europe, because they were blowing up all their factories and they were, you know, producing guns instead of butter. Well, we had so much wealth coming into the country. Like gold was just flowing into the United States during the entirety of World War II. That's why we have this myth here in the U.S. that war is good for the economy when it's literally the dumbest thing anyone could possibly say because if the war is at home, the economy, which essentially just means uh, health of the home or something like this, there's a, another word for it, your economy just blows up, like literally. It's not good for the economy. It's only good for the economy if the war is not here, but it's over there. And you can finance and do everything like that. So uh, we don't want war. And I don't think the elites want war either. Maybe they do. Maybe they've got their bunkers. I'm not sure what the situation is. But I think what is much more amenable to them is this medical line that we've been on. You know, pandemics. Because then they could amalgamate more control on a global level, control the citizenry, and keep everybody in check. And I think that there are some reasonable arguments made that there are some insiders in China, in the United States, that actually have an alliance. You can see this a little bit with the Linux Foundation, which Money Today Show has done some good work on. Uh, we're meant to believe we're enemies, but in reality, we could very well be allies. And when I say we, I mean not you and me. <laughs> I mean the elites. And what they could be trying to do is establish global control. But you can't really do that if you have a world war because what are you going to control? Not much, right? But who knows, maybe they're Satanists and they want to do like some kind of global sacrifice. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud with you guys right now. Let's see what you guys are commenting right here. World Economic Forum's new stablecoin research paper had a section on homomorphic encryption. They're aware of Darrow, I think. Interesting. Interesting. I think there will be far more variants. Well, did you guys read in the news how... There's like some new disease coming out of like Sudan or something like this. And I was telling my buddy yesterday, I'm like, as sure as I'm sitting here, they're cooking up something in like some Congolese jungle, right? Some new variant because the variant that's out right now is not a concern to most people. Like the evidence just doesn't seem to be that it's problematic. Now what they could do is they could blame all the problems that people are having because of the vaccine on the new variant. And there seems to be some arguments that could be made for that because as we know uh the vaccine is causing a lot of heart problems uh it's causing neurological issues and now they're coming out and they're saying oh like 300,000 people are having heart problems because of post-pandemic stress disorder now let's break that down if people are having post-pandemic stress disorder does that mean the pandemic's over because <laughs> that would be awesome if people had post-pandemic stress disorder i mean i hope it's not pandemic stress disorder because people are coming out and they're saying it's going to last for another few years if it's post, that's awesome, cool. But uh, 
what they could do is they could blame all the problems that people are now starting to have as a result of this thing on some new quote-unquote variant. I mean, do they even have the capacity to test for this stuff everywhere? People are saying that they're reporting it here and here. I don't know. I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff out there. But if it proves not to be something which makes the population scared, well, then they're going to come out with something else which is going to actually devastate people and make it so that they can make the claim we need another lockdown. And they're, they're trying to get to the point now where they can justify climate lockdowns. That's the next thing coming. But I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, I, I think they want to milk this medical fear uh, for all that they can do it. Because we know what the end goal is. The end goal is a digital scientific dictatorship whereby everything you do is tracked, everything you do is traced, you're on a central bank digital currency and they can control who it is you do business with, who it is you don't do business with. And the Bank of England has said that about their digital currency. We're going to be able to make it so that you can do business with only businesses that are essential. Those that are not essential, you can't do business with. Okay, so mark the beast, right? That's the end goal. And they're going to continue to do this lockdown, slightly reopen, new variant because of the reopening and the unvaxxed, which means we need a new lockdown, which needs, which means we need mandates, which means you need your COVID card. Oh, people are manufacturing COVID cards, therefore we need it to be digital. And because it's digital, well, why don't we just go ahead and integrate a whole lot of other data metrics about you into that digital passport, which you need to carry everywhere, which they're in Florida now saying that you need to have your driver's license on an app. You're not going to have a physical driver's license anymore, which means you need your phone everywhere, which means geolocation is always going to be on you, et cetera. So all this is going to be integrated, and it's going to work its way into finance. It's going to work its way into health, and then you're, bo- you're going to become part of the Internet of Bodies. So that's the end goal. We know that's the end goal. It's just a question of how it is they get there, right? And as long as the population is in this Stockholm Syndrome compliance-type state, they're going to continue to push forward with this agenda. So... I think that could be what's coming. I think that could be what's coming, a new variant of some sort that just wipes people out. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's a little bit down the ways. What I want to talk about now is inflation because that's starting to get out of control. And we're in a stagflationary environment right now where the economy isn't growing that much. Retail sales are pretty much flat. And the real inflation rate is higher than it's ever been. Now, they're telling you that inflation is about, you know, 7%. But if you use the CPI measured back in the 1980s, it's like 15 to 20%. Even that was a little bit fudged. And they don't include some things, right? And Peter Schiff was on Tucker Carlson talking about this. Uh, And Tucker Carlson had on Michael Saylor and glorified him. And was like, oh, Michael Saylor, I've never heard anyone make so much sense about inflation and buying Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. Now, what he said in that particular interview did make some sense. And he made some good allusions about uh, oxygen and other things like this. Some of you had seen it. But my theory right now is that they want to direct the retail money into cryptocurrency, many of which are worthless, many of which are just speculative instruments that have no value at all in the real world right now. I think Bitcoin to some degree is one of them. And while everyone's focused on that, you've got the central banks bidding against each other for real assets like gold. You've got BlackRock buying up all the residential real estate so that you're not going to have a house anymore. You got Bill Gates and the Murdochs buying up hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland. And they're taking up all the real assets. Meanwhile, all of the peons are screwing around 
in the metaverse, in Decentraland, <laughs> you know, picking up, what do they call it, uh, digital real estate, like a complete contradiction in terms, like they want you to own nothing and be happy. Again, that's the end goal. So what I recommend to people is that before you buy Monero even, make sure you've got some assets off the system, if you can afford it. Uh, have some land. Have some access to water, a well, you know. Have some heirloom seeds. Have some gold and silver. Make sure that you are hedged against the electricity infrastructure and the internet infrastructure to the best capacity that you can because we're going to get into energy a little bit here later. It's getting worse. We've made some streams on the energy infrastructure crisis and all the self-sabotage is going on, pipelines being shut down, nuclear uh, facilities being shut down, supply chain issues, more taxes, carbon taxes, uh, leasing fees, etc. They're doing everything they seemingly can to make this energy situation worse. And who knows, maybe this is part of the Depop agenda. I don't know. I don't know. People can speculate, but we can just go off what we see. And what we're seeing is a bunch of lunatics seemingly destroying the energy infrastructure. And so that has implications for crypto. And gold and silver don't have that problem because once it's out of the ground, it's in your hand, it's in your hand, you can use it, right? Uh, so that's something to know. But Peter Schiff says here, if we were using the same CPI we used in 1982, the rate would be closer to 15%, which means it's the worst year in inflation uh, in U.S. history. Uh, the previous high watermark for inflation was 13.5%. Why isn't anyone punished with this crime? Uh, how is it the people who destroyed the U.S. dollar seem to be getting away with it? Um, and Peter Schiff says this is the only way the government can finance all the spending. And I believe in 2020... The Federal Reserve had actually financed half of all the government expenditures. Half, right? And so let's just do some quick back-of-the-napkin math. Let's think, let's think about this for a sec. Okay, so if inflation is 15%, and I don't have the bond rates pulled up, but the rate on the 10-year U.S. Treasury is, you know, like 1.5%, something like this. Okay, that means if you're holding a bond which they deem to be backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. It's a risk-free asset to hold. There's no risk in holding it. You're guaranteed your money back, blah, 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 right? You're guaranteed, actually, a negative 13.5% return. Guaranteed. And it's only going to get worse from here. Inflation is just getting started. So what happens when the world wakes up and they realize they're holding tens of trillions of dollars of worthless paper that's just being inflated into zero. What happens when China, which has their own domestic problems over there, realizes that, hmm, we need this capital right now. Maybe we should offload a lot of these worthless treasuries before they become even more worthless so that we can get those dollars to pay off a lot of these dollar-denominated debts, which is the Evergrande crisis basically in a nutshell. The Evergrande crisis comes from the fact that Evergrande has like... Uh, you know, $200 billion or whatever the number is in outstanding U.S. dollar-denominated debt. And it's not like China can print dollars. No, they can print yuan. They can go into the FX markets to buy dollars. But to get dollars to pay off those bonds is a little bit more difficult. And so who knows? Maybe they sell U.S. treasuries for dollars to then pay for those debts in order to attenuate the losses. Now, they're going to shaft the foreign investors. Um, that's just what they're going to do. They're going to protect their own more than 
you know, the United States investors over at PIMCO. But that's something that they could do. Saudi Arabia may be thinking the same thing. And we're going to talk about India a little bit, making more relationships with Russia. We talked about this in our geopolitical video about how our disastrous pullout of Afghanistan, which had to happen, admittedly, but you don't leave behind $80 billion of weaponry and advanced gadgets to this ragtag military in the Middle East that has a historical antagonism towards other people in the area, in the region, like Russia and uh, you know India. You just don't do that. But India is now looking at us, and we're like, okay. Or they're like, okay, should we really be allied with these guys? These people seem insane. These people seem crazy. And I think we're going to see more South American countries pivot to China. I think we're going to see, importantly, Saudi Arabia pivot more to China. India is going to pivot to Russia. Now, whether they're going to pivot to China is another question because they don't have too great of a relationship with them. But, yeah, I mean, people are looking at the U.S. like, whoa, these people have gone totally crazy, totally incompetent. And we see where the arc of the dollar is as far as a world reserve currency. These things only last so long. And so maybe we should start to build different relationships, right? And maybe we should offload our treasuries and start to get real assets as well. So that's something to note. That's something to note. And Peter Schiff says, our economy is imploding. It's a mess. We just can't see it because we're blinded by all the inflation. Yeah, and it's pretty bad. Like I just bought some Killer Day's bread, as I talked about in that other video. No soy in the bread. No soy in our wheat. Uh, And it was $5. Five dollars for a loaf of bread. Pretty, pretty wild. And I'll pay it because I don't want that uh, phytoestrogen crap in my system. But uh, yeah, I mean, things are getting expensive out there. And we're going to get to food inflation here in a bit. But let's go to some more data points. Let's check in on you guys, see how you guys are doing. How are we guys? How are we doing? Institutions are not stupid. They're holding bonds and taking the loss because the alternatives are worse. It could be. Could be. Um, I know somebody who just bought AT&T. They said that AT&T has about a a 9% dividend, but then you're exposed to uh, capital losses and that capacity, right? And even then, that's yielding negative. So it could be. I mean, I know in Europe, they have nominally negative bonds. I mean, they're not even hiding it anymore, and there are trillions of those as well. They do realize it's worthless, but ultimately they're still, they still control it, and so they keep the nonsense going. Monero Juana, it's up to everyday people to stop playing along. I agree. So we've got to build parallel economic systems. And shout out to everybody who is going out there to make those ass. I had some really nice person on the channel say that because of the channel, because the work that we have done here, uh, he is going out to vendors, and he's saying, hey, you got to accept Monero. Like, this is the new thing. This gets us off the system. We can continue to trade with one another. And look, if Havana comes out, think about this. Think, 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 think. If Havana comes out and you can trade your Monero for national currencies with which you can pay your taxes and you can fill your financial obligations to the state or whatever in order to stay open and stay to some degree part of the system, well, then you could interact as a vendor with both people who are either part of the economy still or not. And so, again, that branches a lot of things together. So we need to continue to get the word out about this stuff. Real world value is the basis for all and also have skills to offer. I think that's a good point. Yeah, have some skills. Berkeley water filter can filter brown and black water. Good for emergency only $100 uh, $100 for a set of filters. Yeah, you're going to need water filters, I think. And did you know silver? 
Purifies water. Something Bitcoin can't do. Uh, Tucker is hit or miss. This is from you, Josh. And having Sailor on was a huge miss. Yeah, dude. Sailor, dude. Look, we've talked about Sailor a lot on the channel. The dude is totally demonic. Okay? Like, literally, 20 years ago... And, like, I try not to judge people based on what they were doing even months ago. Like, you got to forgive people and move on. But, like, dude, 20 years ago, Michael Saylor was trying to implant chips into people's brains so that people could read each other's minds. And he could read their minds. That's Michael Saylor, dude. <laughs> he runs a data intelligence firm. Bitcoin is a technology that emanates data which can be harvested by firms like Chainalysis and MicroStrategy. And MicroStrategy... Michael Saylor's firm, has relationships with the U.S. government, with the Department of State, the Department of Defense, Homeland Security. Look it up. We've done videos on this. And we have one clip about Michael Saylor. He says in this clip, if there's anything useful you can do right now with your life, it is to encourage other people to get into Bitcoin. He literally said that. So, yeah, uh, the dude has issues. The dude has issues, right? Uh, climate change equals global tax grid. 100%. 100%. And guys, just remember, you are a carbon-based life form, and they want to tax carbon. It can't get much more explicit than that. Uh, to justify pressure on nations that do not bow to the global government. Right. I'm glad that you guys are aware of uh, where this is going. <clears throat> Heist and Green, you say smallpox? Well, interestingly enough, there was a story... I think I read about how in some lab somewhere, I forgot where it was, but there was like a vial of smallpox just sitting outside the refrigerator. <laughs> it's like, okay, are you guys trying to send a message here? And, you know, this is just why we can't have nice things, right? This is why we just can't have level four biofactories <laughs> where bio lab uh, weapons are made. I think the virus has suited them well for control, but as things get into more despair, People will grow more awake. So let me comment on that real quick. Let me comment on that. I don't know if people are growing awake enough. And when I say growing awake, sure, they may be able to contemplate the fact that they're about to be herded into a global control grid. Like, maybe they could contemplate that. Maybe they want to instinctually run away from it. Maybe that's part of the waking up process. But you have to understand we're in this position for a reason. And this has been a long time coming. So even if people think, cool, vaccine passport's not a good idea. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we shouldn't become part of the Internet of Bodies. Maybe the Internet of Things is going too far, right? What are we moving back to? What's the last square we were at? Well, the last square we were at was open borders. Right? Letting people from the third world flood into your country, giving them amnesty, giving them massive amounts of welfare. People seem totally okay with that, with the death of the native culture, with the death of free market capitalism, death of free speech. I mean, are we going to step back from that square too? Are we going to realize that you know, secular education systems, public education systems, which have pumped out people who are okay with all this stuff, should those be changed too? Like, what's the last square that we go to right because people can't just wake up they have to understand how it is we got here and i don't think that people quite understand that what has happened is a moral crisis and this has been going on for about 100 years peter hitchens marks it at world war one uh that's when christendom really died that's when people really lost faith in the church 
lost faith in Christianity because you had a bunch of Christian nations start to slaughter each other, right? It's just like, how much legitimacy does the church really have? Do I really believe this? And then, uh, you know, secularism started to take over from there. But you have to also understand how you got into this situation. You can't just say, we need to get out of the situation, right? Because what could happen is you could say, cool, let's get out of the situation, and then you hop out of the frying pan into the fire, into something worse. So what are the solutions that people are advocating for now? Where do people go? And I don't know if people quite understand this because you have a lot of the crypto bros out there who are like, oh, we just need to adopt Bitcoin. And then it's over. Cool. We win. Fix the money. Fix the human condition. People actually believe this, (laughs) which is just insane. It's insanity. Like we've been on a gold standard for thousands of years. Did we not have wars? Did we not have governments go broke? Did we not have governments reestablish? A fiat system. Some people think that you can reestablish a fiat system on Bitcoin because of the centralization of the ledgers, because a lot of the Bitcoins are going to be held at banks and, uh, you know, trust and things like this. You issue credit on top of that, turns into another gold system, blah, 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 right? But you have to fix more than just, cool, we need to get rid of the Vax passports. People are like, we need to go back to normal. What, what was normal? Was 2016 normal when millions of Muslim migrants were flooding into Europe, like raping and pillaging and just destroying uh, the culture there and taking over the Christian culture there and burning down. Well, we don't know who burnt down Notre Dame, but now they're remaking Notre Dame as some kind of like woke Disney eco-friendly land. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The death of the culture is a big, big problem. But there were many problems back in 2015, 2016. Things were not normal back then. Maybe they're relatively normal compared to now. But do we go back to before 2008 when the Fed started to print a whole bunch, started to print a whole bunch of money and devalue the dollar and make it so that, you know, the rich just get incredibly rich off inflation while the poor have their assets inflated away? Like, what is normal? What's the square that we go back to? And so that is my question right now. That is my question. You can have open borders. You can have welfare, though. It will hurt, but the killer is having both. Uh, maybe. 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 That is, I know, a libertarian uh, debate, which happens all the time. I think you need borders. Uh, I think any country needs a border. I think that's obvious. Uh, Mr. Moon, you say the U.S. could easily pull up the drawbridge and be self-sufficient. We can. We absolutely can. We have so many resources in Alaska, it's ridiculous. Now, I'm a conservationist. I'm not like a crazy, kooky environmentalist. If we produce too much, like some positive feedback loop is going to kick in, the ice caps are going to melt, and we're all going to be underwater. Like, I don't believe that. The people who are propagating that, by the way, are buying beachfront properties every day. (laughs) Like Al Gore has beachfront properties. Mark Zuckerberg has beachfront properties. And they believe in climate change. They believe the ice caps are going to melt. So... Do you guys understand how to square this stuff together? I'm sure you guys do, but does the population understand this stuff? But we can be self-sufficient. We absolutely can. We have the oil. We have the resources. We don't need to depend on the Saudis. We really don't. If Trump gets back in, I reckon this is what... He's not coming back in. That's not happening. Uh, That's not happening. The worry is that they cook a really bad variant. Yeah, we talked about that. Okay, cool. Mr. Moon... You're saying exactly what is normal. The longer this make-believe nonsense goes on, the further we get from what we consider normal. And the further we get, the more normal the state... Yeah, that's a really good point. I think people will forget what normal is. 
And I don't even think what we were in my lifetime was considered normal with all this new technology and all these crazy government policies to destroy the native stock, the native culture, uh, and destroy the education system. Some people argue we haven't had normality for over a hundred years. And with the advancements in technology and the changing of the culture happening so fast and the changing of the demographics and the politics and just everything going on. I mean, what is normal? Right. Thanks, man. Love your vids. Got into some other coins because of your input. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's go ahead and get to comments on inflation and what's going on there. We have more to talk about in regards to that. This is going to be a long stream. Hope you guys are digging it. I dig it. This is more interactive. I think by now I'd be tired. We're not tired, but like, man, I got a lot to go through. But I like uh, interacting with you guys. This is a new cool experience. I'm glad that uh, we were able to do this together. But you are going to have to forgive my computer. <laughs> it's just, I have so many tabs open. It's a little bit slow. It's like one of these cheap Lenovo laptops. Uh, okay, cool. So U.S. producer prices explode to record high in November, and there's worse to come. Right, so uh, the producers are seeing higher prices. After CPI's rise last week, which was somehow briefly seen as good news because it was lower than a wild whisper number, which I think was 7%. It was like 6.8. Producer prices tore up the narrative this morning, printing a record-breaking 9.6% year-on-year rise. We're still core PPI surged. Without food and energy, it was 7.7% year-on-year, and they expected 7.2. Without food and energy in trade, it was about 7%. Yeah. And... Concerningly, energy and transportation were the biggest drivers. And we're going to see in one of these later uh, articles how energy is one of the biggest input costs for food. And we're, we're just starting to see food inflation get off the chain. And we'll talk about the implications of that. So within final demands... Uh, final demand goods in November, prices for iron and steel scrap rose 10.7%. And interestingly enough, gold is going nowhere, <laughs> just to point out. Um, and we'll talk about that. But inflation is going crazy. And there's a new statistic today. Do, do, do. Export price index, 18.2% year-on-year highest on record. Uh, he calls it the Brandon effect. No, it's the Fed effect. Uh, and I see this on Tucker Carlson too. Thanks, Joe Biden. Thanks for inflation. It has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It has nothing to do. It's the Federal Reserve. And it's everything that's been going on uh, with this pandemic. Now, he may have something to do with it a little bit because they're passing all these ridiculous spending bills. But a lot of that. Uh, and one thing my friend noted is that in these spending bills, you have a lot of foreign aid to different countries. And what you'll notice is like for some third world countries, it's like we're giving them $50 million for the upkeep of diversity programs. Like that's how they justify it. But what's really happening is because we have the world reserve currency and everyone has their debts and dollars, we are giving these nations money so that they can continue to pay off those debts and keep the system going to avoid a default wave. Like that's the speculation that's going on. We're coming up with all these ridiculous... Uh, reasons to give people money. Like, for instance, I think we gave... Who did we give? I, I think it was like Afghanistan or some other country. We gave them like 
maybe it's Israel. We gave them like a couple billion dollars to build a wall. <laughs> we can't even build our own wall. We can't allocate money for our own wall. And we know why that is because the Democrats want third world migration because the third worlders, they vote for them. They want to make a uniparty state. They're going to give them animus. Like we know how that works, right? But like we're giving all these other nations money. Some of it is for those purposes, but it's also just to keep the global financial system together, right? And I think there are probably still dollar swap lines everywhere, uh, giving liquidity to nations that need it. What is this? I don't know what that is. So next stat, and a lot of this from zerohedge.com, by the way. I like Zero Hedge. My favorite Doomer site, retail sales, 0.03%. They expected about 1%. Retail sales without auto and gas, 0.02%. They expected 0.08%. And then retail sales control group is negative 0.01%. They expected 0.7%. So that's stagflation, right? And that's following one of the highest CPI readings in about, not 30 years, 40 years. Uh, yeah, the Fed ain't tightening anytime soon. I don't know how they can. But they're stuck in a hard spot, again, because this is stagflation. If you print more money to try to stimulate the economy, you're going to get more inflation. But if you raise rates and you taper, okay, well, that's going to make these numbers worse. That's going to even be worse for the economy, which is starting to stagnate. So that's why I say they're going to need some excuse because uh, the Fed's totally responsible for this. I think people are waking up to it, but they're going to need a diversion. So we'll see what happens. <clears throat> see what happens, bruh. John told. And this is just kind of funny. We commented on this a little bit. 2019, Powell, we have plenty of tools to fight inflation. If it emerges. 2020, we have plenty of tools to fight inflation. We don't see it. Doesn't exist. Powell, we, we welcome some inflation. It looks transitory, right? We have tools to fight it if it persists. And then 2022, Powell, I've got nothing. <laughs> like, Yeah, they don't have anything. They don't have anything. And I referenced this earlier. We're not going to read this. Hottest U.S. inflation rate in almost 40 years brings sigh of relief in some corners of the financial market. So we're seeing more gaslighting, right? And they've said inflation is a good thing. This is Paul Krugman, uh, who I think had some interesting things found on his computer a few years ago, if you want to read into that. He's on the inside. Aside from priorities, is this even true? Is there any good reason to believe that inflation hits low-income households especially hard? So this is a quote-unquote respected economist, Paul Krugman, saying perhaps the dumbest thing anyone could say. Of course it does. Because it's the low-income people who don't own stocks. They don't own assets which are going up with inflation. They're just getting a check every week. Their wages aren't indexing inflation at all. Real wages if you just look at one chart, are plummeting through the ground. Like, people's wages are not at all keeping up with inflation. And so with that being said, yeah, they're losing ground all the time. Everything around them is becoming more expensive. Low-income households, particularly the elderly, rely on Social Security, right? And they're only adjusting the Social Security allotments for 2022 by 6%. And for inflation, we're already at about 7 Using 1980s numbers, we're at about 15%. So Social Security allotments are not keeping up with inflation. They're increasing the thresholds for tax brackets, the IRS is, by only 3%. We, we made a video on that. Go check it out. But it's just a total scam. So even if your wages did go up, maybe they index inflation. Maybe you got a 15% increase in your wages. Well, 
you're not making any more real money. That's just a nominal increase in your wages. But you're going to have to pay more tax because maybe you're moving into a higher tax bracket because they're only adjusting the tax brackets by about 3%. So you're getting scammed. And the deductions are not increasing concomitantly as well. So, yeah, of course it hits low-income people especially hard. Now, if you're an elite, right, and you've got money in offshore tax havens and you've got crypto and you've got, uh, you know, real assets, land, etc., you're not worried about inflation. You're not worried about inflation. In fact, it makes you richer. And there's just unbelievable amounts of evidence for this. So let's look at gold real quick. This is from Dave Kranzler, a good commenter on gold. And he says, Craig from TF Metals, Craig Hemke, he's an interesting guy. Uh, care to explain this? So when the news came out that the U.S. producer prices exploded to a record high, Gold dumped. Now, if you look at this, this is not normal market behavior. We've talked about gold manipulation a lot. Everybody knows it exists now. Everybody knows it's a thing. Gold has not kept up with inflation at all. And of course, this is what the Bitcoin bros look at. They're like, of course, Bitcoin's better. Gold isn't keeping up with inflation. Well, it's manipulated. That's what none of them care to say. Mark Moss, I think, is the only honest person in the Bitcoin sphere who comments on this. Everybody else... They just say stupid things like, oh, well, Bitcoin hasn't gone or uh, gold hasn't gone anywhere over the last 10 years. Uh, It's Bitcoin, which is indexing inflation. First off, Bitcoin is not indexing inflation. Inflation is not like 10 million percent (laughs) since 2008. It's going through an adoption phase. It's going up an S-curve, right? It's an exponential phase. At some point, that's going to peter out. And my question, of course, is at that point, when you get to the plateau of the S-curve, what is going to be the value of Bitcoin at that point? Because most people only hold this stuff because number go up. But that aside, look at gold dump right here in response to inflation. Pretty crazy. Pro tip, that price smash occurred in the paper derivative gold market. So it's not the physical market, just so you guys know. And it started just before the worst PPI report on record was released. Hint, shorting gold is not the way to play accelerating inflation. So it's interesting. It started to dump before Uh, The report came out. Kind of interesting, right? As if they wanted to get that sentiment onto the market that uh, gold is selling off, don't buy it. Technically, it doesn't make sense. It's like they were trying to groom the algos in order to go in this direction, but we saw it accelerate from there on. So interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. And Craig responds. He's like, that's just natural organic selling by hedge funds, Dave. <laughs> right. Right. It's not the CME group. It's not uh, CFTC. Not that. Uh, let's see. And so this is Jim Kramer. And we have another clip I want to get to with him later where he says, We need the military out on the streets. We need forced inoculations. We need people to get injected. Pretty wild, right? Uh, but here he says, This is like the greatest economy ever. All right. First of all, to me, we have the strongest economy. Perhaps I have ever seen. See that number this morning, unemployment number? It's the best in years, not best in 69. We have all spotted the endless help wanted signs, the housing and apartment shortages, the tremendous demand for goods and services, a marvel to behold. Oh, people are confident about their jobs. I say fantastic. And the ability to even get better ones if they want to. They're spending more than I've ever seen, but they're doing it with cash, not on credit. They're doing so Mm -mm. in a roaring 20s style. They're they're tapped out on credit. 
people are tapped out on their credit cards. There was a report that came out today. I don't have it pulled up, but people have gone through the credit. They don't got the credit no more. And yeah, I mean, people are going to need more stimmies. They're going to need more stimmies. All right, before we get to include inflation, let's just see what you guys are commenting. Just uh, keep in check which y'all. Do, 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 do. I'm not a religious man. I've always been curious about it. However, I couldn't get around the roadblock in my head that the Bible is just a bunch of stories to help people make sense of the world. Well, we can get into the theology, but it's in orthodoxy, it's the church, it's tradition, which is more important than the Bible. Now, the Bible, of course, is the Word of God. We do believe that. And the Holy Spirit led uh, the amalgamation of those scripts together. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that another time. However, with the evil I'm now seeing, my views are changing. Religion is important and is going to get more and more important as time passes. Well, of course, yes. Yes, and a lot of people are going back to the church. A lot of people are going to orthodoxy now because the evil in the world is so obvious that it's like, okay, maybe there is a good. Maybe there is a God, right? Because you look at, just for instance, the music artists, which are being pushed out there by the corporate executives in the music industry, who have been long believed to be satanic. Uh, look at Billie Eilish. Look at Lil Nas X. Like Lil Nas X in his music videos is literally giving lap dances to Satan. He's got, like, a pregnant belly as a dude. Like, they're trying to invert reality right in front of your face. And then, of course, the Travis Scott incident was interesting. But, yeah, people can see evil out there. It's becoming very obvious. And that is leading people back to the church. They're thinking, okay, well, this is evil if I've ever seen it before. And they're looking at the Mark of the Beast stuff and all this stuff. Well, maybe there's a good. Maybe there's a God. And for most people going back to the church— there may be a, there are maybe some experiences that they have which are just too coincidental, you know what I mean? And then they're like, okay, maybe there's something reaching out to me in the spiritual realm. Maybe it's telling me to go back to church and try to get my life right. But for a lot of people, it's also just making a choice. It's making a choice that my life has meaning, that I'm on the side of good. I'm not going to be on the side of evil. And if there's a template for that, I'm interested in it. And the template that a lot of people choose is Christianity, is orthodoxy in particular. And for me, I made that choice, and I had some of those providential experiences which brought me to the church. And then after I was baptized, it became totally real um, in ways that I can't explain. It's ineffable, but I would concur with your uh, analysis of that. Politics theater, yep. Give up on politics. I would give up on politics. We are just pawns in a supranational power game. It's East versus West. Yeah, some people think so. Could be. Maybe not. Uh, I feel that one would need a 15% raise year over year for three plus years to match the M1 printing in 2020. Yeah, maybe even more than that. Uh, you ain't going to get it, though. <laughs> You're not going to get it. Because employers, they don't want to pay their employees more. Right there's a natural competition that goes on between employees and employers. Uh, the employers want to fatten up the bottom line, especially if they're self-employed, because that's money that they take home. And if they can point you to the direction of the CPI, the government statistics, and most people aren't aware of like the fudging that goes on the CPI and all the stuff that we're talking about here, well then they're just going to say, yeah, inflation's uh seven percent. How about uh, a eight percent increase? I'm being very nice when in reality inflation is 15%, right? So you're not going to get that 15%. You're not going to get that 
that would be nice though. Good time to start a business, but then again, with everything else going on, to start a business is a big investment. And because of all of the capriciousness in the world right now, and the lack of stability, uh, that initial investment is even more risky for a lot of people. So people are just kind of, I think what's happening right now is people are just kind of exiting the labor force. And they're just sitting back and they're waiting to see what happens. Uh, because if you get into the labor force now, you're going to be accepting a wage that could maybe be bigger if inflation really starts to get off the chain, right? And also, a lot of people are just not going to get vaccinated. Like, they're not going to go along with this program of, okay, I got to get the vaccine, I guess, to get this job. I'll do it because I need them. Like, no, people are like, okay, maybe I, maybe this will go away a month from now, maybe two months from now. I'll just survive on my credit card. I could... Uh, you know, maybe get one of these credit cards, which I don't have to pay off for 12 months. There are credit cards like that, a lot of them. And uh, those are useful for some people in this situation who are like, yeah, I'm just going to sit out for a sec. I'm just going to sit out for a sec. Plus, I don't want to wear a face cloth all day and cut off my oxygen, right? But I do have a story about that. Uh, when I was looking for jobs, I commented on this uh, for my Telegram. I was, uh, oh, what's up, Emilio? Good to see you as well, my friend. Uh, but when I was looking for jobs... I reached out to this one CPA firm and uh, it was quite a while away from my house, but you know, it was an interview, so I'd check it out. I went down there and I look at the door to go into the firm and it's got like one of those face covering signs on it. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, I guess I got to wear a mask. So I get a mask. I put it on. I dehumanize myself. I get a little beta and then I go in and I make the same mistake that I had made with another job interview that I had like months upon months ago. I go in, I'm wearing the mask, nobody else is. And of course, in my reality, that just doesn't exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm usually the one not wearing the mask while everyone else is. And if I see people not wearing a mask, I'm like, screw this thing, right? But like, I didn't see him wearing a mask. And so I'm like, oh, cool. Maybe you guys are kind of chill. What's up? You mind if I get some oxy? You mind if I, uh, you know, breathe a little bit? And then they ask me, they're like, are you vaccinated? And at that point, you got to answer, right? You can't just be like, oh, uh, never mind. I don't want to divulge my medical because then you're ousted, right? So I said, no, I'm not vaccinated. Is that a requirement? Blah, blah, blah. And the lady was like, well, we work with a lot of elderly people. Uh, we want to make sure the elderly folk are safe, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so sh should I just, just leave? And she's like, no, just come in for a sec. And I guess she wanted to uh, not make it seem like that was the the deal breaker, but it was, uh, it was. And she had like my resume on the desk and everything. She was ready for the interview. She had a candle lit. I mean, she was ready to go, but that vaccine thing, me not being faxed, I didn't get the job. Didn't even get called back. Right. So that's a real thing. And for those not in the workforce already, I mean, to jump through those hoops is just a pain in the ass. Right. So people are not going to want to do that. So I think a lot of people are sitting out. I think a lot of people are just sitting out right now. But it's hard if you have a family, right? I mean, I'm fortunate to some degree that I'm a bachelor, right? And we as young men, dude, I could sleep on a stone in the woods. <laughs> like I, I need nothing to survive. I could literally live in the woods if I wanted to, you know? Just take a slingshot, eat some squirrel, throw them on a spit, you know? Sit in the woods with my Bible and, you know, I'm good. But for a lot of people out there with families, many tough decisions have had to be made. And I'm very 
much sympathize with that. And uh, yeah, it's tough for a lot of people. It's tough for a lot of people. So let's talk about food inflation because this is one of the big things that we're going to get through today. Uh, this has pretty significant implications. Tracy Shuchart, uh, who is a macro analyst for energy in particular, she says food inflation is just getting started. Now, look at this chart. Okay. Fertilizer is one of the main input costs for the growth of food. And it's going nuclear. It's going absolutely nuclear. And one thing that I want to point out is you see this increase right here. Well, you can't see my mouse, but look at uh, 2010 and 2011 on this chart. Now, you may recall back in this period, you had the Arab Spring. And a lot of this inflation was as a result of QE2, uh, which was initiated by the Fed. And again, like, like things that are done by our Federal Reserve, because we have the World Reserve currency, ripple throughout the entire world. Because food prices in some of these uh, Middle Eastern countries increased by, you know, 20%, in a matter of a couple of years, you started to have riots. You started to have social unrest. Um, and that's when we saw everything start to break down in like Tunisia and Syria and places like that. A lot of people in the world live close to those margins, right? Like a lot of people live on the brink of hunger. And when food prices go up, that has serious, serious implications for these people. And I know that many of you watching right now, like you don't feel that yet. You know, you go to the store, if eggs are up a buck, that's not going to hurt you too much. Um, you know, you'll, you'll pay for it. If Killer Day's bread <laughs> is up to $5 a loaf, you'll pay for it because you don't want that soy in you. But for a lot of people, uh, they'll take what they can get. But what I want to now address now is this increase. Uh, the World Food Price Index, which again is probably man manipulated to the downside, it's now at where the peak was in 2010 and 11. And fertilizer prices are going freaking exponential, which means that that's just getting started. So we are probably going to see a lot of social unrest here in the future. Uh, I think we're going to see social unrest particularly in Turkey uh, because they're about to go through a hyperinflationary supernova because the person in charge of that country, Erdogan, is a freaking economic illiterate. And he thinks that to tame inflation, what you do is cut rates more and more, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do. But again, he is trying to blame outside parties for messing with their financial system, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to see more of that. Like as more social unrest comes as a result of this inflation and some other things that they're doing, they're going to direct that angst, that anger at the domestic government to other foreign governments. And that could be a pretext for uh, conflicts. So this is a very informative video for you guys to watch. Um, <clears throat> this is from CNBC talking about how energy plays into uh, food prices. And we're going to get to energy next. But check this out. Fears of higher food prices are front and center among inflation concerns. And it looks like fertilizer prices could be partly to blame. Christina Parsonevelos here with that story for us. Hi, Christina. Hi, Wolf. Well, fertilizer provides nutrients to crops, and this bad boy behind me right here sprays it out onto the crop. But over the last little while, we've seen prices skyrocket, and that leaves farmers with little choice but to pass it on to consumers. Listen in. Seeing gas prices rise, even you know your day-in consumer is seeing more of the pump. Uh, we feel that effect here at the farm. 
Last year we were purchasing fertilizer for somewhere around $220 a ton, and the last quote I got last week was over $850 a ton. Nitrogen-based fertilizer has inputs such as natural gas as well as coal. Prices have been soaring for those two products because of supply chain issues, uh, restrictions or export restrictions coming out of Russia and China, as well as the energy shortage. And this comes at a time when food prices, according to the United Nations Food Index, has hit a level we haven't seen in 10 years. And so... Every single item almost on your food plate at night is, has been touched by fertilizer prices. And when we start to see nat gas and coal start to increase, that means that food will almost undoubtedly follow suit. Wolf? So notice how she commented on energy playing into food prices. That is something to note. Because as we're about to see with the next segment of this show, uh, energy prices are only going to go from here. And... In Europe, they're already at like all-time highs because of the crazy things they're doing over there. We've talked about that again in other videos, uh, the global energy infrastructure crisis and hedging against crypto. Those are two videos that we've commented in detail about the energy infrastructure on. So I'd check those out. And then the climate change thing is going to make that even worse because uh, there's this push to get off fossil fuels, which are the most cheap, reliable, and efficient energy resource that there is. Yes, it has more environmental uh, consequences than maybe something like solar, but solar is not as reliable. Same thing with wind, and they're even trying to shut down nuclear. Like in Germany, they're shutting down nuclear power plants, uh, which is clean, but it has risks, uh, of course, but the risks are small relative to what a lot of people think. But that is something to note because oil costs are going to continue to go up from here. That's going to compound the inflation we're already seeing. Fertilizer prices are sky high already and they're going up as we just talked about here so food inflation is uh yeah there are implications to that uh let's see what you guys think about all this before we get let me just close these down get some computer space going let's see uh and then we'll we'll get to the uh coven news uh because there's just a lot to go on with that <coughs> How you guys doing? A lot of familiar faces here in the chat. Hope that you guys are doing well. We've got 27 people in, chilling. Let's see. Oh, you can't see the screen. Okay. Uh, let me let me pull up the chart again. Oh, can you guys see? Oh man, has it? How long has it been like that? You guys need to tell me. You guys need to tell me. Okay, so... Oh, I closed it. Anyways, like, fertilizer prices are going nuclear. Has my screen been like that since the beginning? Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I hope that you got some good info from that, nevertheless. Okay, how do I get back to where I need to be? Zaptosis, welcome. Uh, R, stay out of me, organic food supply. I can't see your screen. We can hear, though. Okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, if you can homestead, that'd be great. We have told you. Thank you, Flolu. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Do, do, do. Well, at least you'll be able to see this. And we're only like halfway through all this. But, uh, man, if my screen's been like that since the beginning, that's embarrassing. First live screen, though. Uh, so expect some hiccups. So we're going to talk about the energy crisis now. 
Do, do, do. European energy crisis. Please keep moving. This is from Javier Blas. Nothing to see here. Just a crazy day of natural gas and electricity prices all across Europe. TTF up to 117 euros pure megawatt hour. Germany, one year forward price uh, power above 200 euros. And day ahead, electricity prices in France above 300 megawatt per hour. So look at this chart and you can actually see it now. <laughs> it's going exponential. Look at this. So we're just talking about how this plays into food prices. That is going into your food now. And if you look at like the M2 uh, money supply, it's basically the same chart. And that's going to be compounded by all the uh, climate craziness. So look at that. That's one data point. And then let's see what's going on. Look at this. This is from today. Latest European power markets data. Day ahead average prices for 2021, uh, 12.16, so today. Uh, look at this. Look at this. So in Spain, it's 300 per megawatt hour. France, 350. Germany, 344. Poland looks like it's the cheapest. Now, that could be because you got a lot of pipelines moving through there. They're the most based. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. That's something to note. So energy costs going up everywhere in Europe. And it's going to get worse now because Germany just blocked the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Now, we've talked a lot about Gazprom here on the channel. Uh, it's been one of our long-term plays that's done pretty well. And Gazprom, of course, is a Russian-backed oil company. And it's one of the companies which isn't going to go along with all this climate change craziness, right? So I have gotten out of Western oil companies. I'm no longer in, you know, uh, Shell or Exxon. Even Chevron. I think Chevron was a pretty good company with a decent balance sheet. But look, if I'm going to get into oil, I'm going to get into an oil company which isn't going to incur upon itself just insane amounts of regulation. That doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> they're going to have a huge competitive edge. Not to mention the fact they're, they're backed by the Russian government, right? So European gas prices hit high as Germany blocks Nord Stream 2. And they did it because it didn't comply with European law. Now, I don't know if they did that as a tat against Russia because of the moves being made against Ukraine right now. Uh, there's some speculation that's the case. But nevertheless, apparently it's not going through. And that's got, again, more compounding energy cost consequences for Europe. Um, <clears throat> Berlin's block of Nord Stream, T, uh, Nord Stream 2 sent European gas prices uh, to the highest levels ever seen. Dutch month ahead gas, the European benchmark, jumped more than 3% to 119.5 euros. And yeah, look at this chart. European gas prices, all time high. Going nuclear. And just look at this. I mean, this is just insane right here. Look at this. Going back to 2007. Look at the baseline and then just look at this exponential move. It's like going Bitcoin, dude. Except the Bitcoin <laughs> is what you're putting in your car. It's what's going into the food. It's what's going into the functioning of civilization. Fundamentally. Like, this is the cost of running civilization, basically. That's what you're looking at. <laughs> like... It's just insane. And all of this could have been avoided. All of it. While record high is enough of a problem for context, this is equivalent to $232 for a barrel of crude oil. And I think crude oil right now is about 70, 80 bucks a barrel, something like that. The anticipation is assuming that there isn't some kind of new lockdown or something like that. It's going to go to 100 in 2022 and beyond. 
Strongly suggesting the pressure back to the article to switch must be building, and with it, demand for crude, which could skip or buy in this cunning plan to lower U.S. gas prices. He's not trying to lower gas prices. What evidence is there that that is happening? We'll get to more, but we made like a whole two-hour video on how that's just not happening at all. They're shutting down pipelines. They're increasing the leasing fees on getting oil out of the ground. Now they're making it so that, uh, well, we'll get to that. But oil barrel equivalents, look at this. Going nuclear, at least it's still relatively cheap in the U.S., but because we import a lot of things uh, that are going to have these costs incurred into it, those prices are still going to be passed on to us because we're a global system, right? So let's talk about some of the implications for crypto here. And we've commented on this again in different videos. Go check out our uh, American Bitcoin rush, uh, how censorship resistant is Bitcoin. We've talked about the implications of energy on Bitcoin censorship because if it gets more expensive to mine Bitcoin or you're just not allowed to do it in some of these other countries which are rationing energy, well then a lot of that Bitcoin mining hash rate is going to go to the United States and the United States hash rate is increasing quite a lot. Uh, last time it was documented was July and it was at about 35.5%. And with this happening in Kazakhstan, which had at uh, the point in July at about, I think it was 18% of the hash rate in July they had, but now they're cracking down on Bitcoin mining. Uh, this just came out a few days ago from RT. Bitcoin aficionados lured to the Central Asian country by cheap and abundant power are seeking authorities are seeing authorities crack down on the industry as power costs swell. Kazakhstan has placed massive limitations on the energy-intensive industry as cryptocurrency sap national power supply. The policy reversal has effectively eliminated Kazakhstan as one of the cheapest countries on earth to mine Bitcoin. And remember, a lot of the Chinese Bitcoin mining operations went to Kazakhstan, you know, because it's a local country, uh, cheap energy there, right, as they were just talking about. And so now they're cracking down, which means those operations are going to go to the United States, which a lot of them were anyway. Uh, Kazakhstan was just a stopping ground for them on the way to the United States. And uh, so that hash rate's going to the U.S., and we also saw in Europe how they were talking about banning proof-of-work crypto mining. And there's a good bit of the hash rate there. So that's going to be moving to the U.S. too because they're not going to put up with that political risk, especially with all the crazy climate stuff going on. And given the prohibitively expensive energy there, uh, they're going to come to the United States too. So we're going to see a lot of Bitcoin mining hash rate be concentrated and centralized in the United States. Who knows how much of that could be regulated by OFAC or other entities which could determine what transactions uh, can be done and what transactions can't. You know, who knows how OFAC compliant these pools are going to become with ESG and everything like that. So that's something to note. And we're seeing this become a theme. And we'll talk more about this now. Let's see. Yep. Largest Icelandic utility... Uh, cuts power to crypto miners amid grid crunch. So in Europe, one of the reasoning behind banning Bitcoin mining operations was that we have to ration energy. Electricity is very expensive. Why is it that we're wasting so much energy on mining currencies which are competing to our own? This seems like a stupid idea. And so that could be the reason that goes into banning proof-of-work mining. Now, uh, they seem to favor proof-of-stake 
currencies more than proof of work currencies, not only because it's more environmentally friendly, quote unquote, but because they can have a better grip on the governance structure. Because basically it's like whoever owns the most coins can have the most leverage over the system in regards to validating transactions and things like this. They can have a bigger uh, grip on the consensus structure and the governance. So they like that better. I mean, again, they can just print money and buy this stuff, right? So uh, that's less of a threat. But what I want to highlight here is that we now see a pattern that whenever there's energy rationing, whenever there are energy shortages, crypto mining is on the bottom of the list of things that are going to be considered essential. Uh, and as the global energy crisis continues, we could expect this to continue as well. So that's to note. And this is more about the European energy crisis. EU official warns of rolling blackouts as energy crisis worsens. Europe's energy crisis is about to get a whole lot worse as the northern hemisphere winter is just weeks away. And we're heading into winter. Yep. So power prices were already going to be going up. But again, it was already starting to go nuclear before winter even happened. So new risks are emerging across the continent. And something to note is with winter comes more illness, a weakened immune system. And people's immune systems are already incredibly weak because of these programs, these vaccination programs, which just kill people's immune systems, literally. And so we could see these things compound together into something rather nefarious, but we'll see what happens. Uh, new risks are emerging across the continent that households and companies might have to scale back on power use or even plan for rolling blackouts. So if they're going to make households and companies scale back on power use, crypto mining is not on the radar. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's not something that's going to be going on. But one thing to note is that Monero mining, just to tie this back into Monero, uh, when Bitcoin mining was banned in China, like the hash rate for Bitcoin dumped, but the Monero hash rate kept going up. Like, the Monero hash rate has been incredibly robust during all of this. And we shouldn't anticipate that this is going to have too much of an effect. Now, it will have an effect, obviously, but it's not going to have as big of an effect on Monero in particular as it will with Bitcoin. Because Monero, you just mine with your laptop. You can mine it at home. You don't need, like, all these ASICs rigs, which are probably going to be regulated in the future anyway. Uh, so it's much more robust. You can become part of decentralized mining pools peer-to-peer. -peer. So... Again, I think Monero is going to shine as the pressure comes down on the crypto industry from many different fronts, whether it's regulation, whether it's energy, etc. Like crypto has been allowed to grow and flourish in an environment that has been largely uh, supportive of its innovation and development. Uh, you know, it hasn't had too much regulatory attack over the last 12 years, other than maybe in the last year or two. Uh, energy prices have been relatively cheap. Uh, there's been a lot of hype about it because it's a new technology. So, and it's obviously gotten very nice coverage from CNBC, surprisingly, and the media. But we could start to see things change as energy costs go up, as regulations go up, as countries start to roll out their own central bank digital currencies and see these cryptos as a threat. So the test is really coming now for crypto. And I think Monero in particular is going to be able to weather these storms and take the pressure. I don't know if uh, these other cryptos can, but I'm confident that Monero can. I'm confident in that. So back to this, there is no immediate fix to the energy crisis that comes from the supply side with Russia's Gazprom, the largest supplier of natural gas to Europe, only 
pumping what it has. At the same time, the EU stockpiles remain well below trend. Yeah, so you can see the stockpiles here for Europe, well below this uh, average line, which is the black line. And if you look at uh, the stockpiles declining from November uh, at the start of winter into the trough in April, I mean, who knows if there is enough energy, right? Who knows if there's enough? We'll see. We'll see. But uh, you can expect the price to continue to go up. Now I want to comment a little bit on ESG, but first let's check out uh, y'all's comments, see how you guys are doing. Hope you guys are doing well. Do do Jerome Powell is buying Cardano and VeChain. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think Cardano is an interesting project. VeChain, Money Today Show talks a lot about. Uh, there's some pretty big power players behind VeChain. What I don't get is how beef is bad for the environment. Yeah, and that's another thing that's going to be coming. They're going to make it... Uh, uh, environmentally unfriendly to eat meat. Now, to some degree, there are arguments for that, but uh, they don't want you to eat meat that gives you too much testosterone. They want you to eat soy. They want you to eat uh, bugs, right? Uh, maybe you could have meat on your birthday, but that's also part of the plan. But manure is more energy intensive than natural gas fertilizer. Would it be awesome if you can move your face cam to the bottom right so we can see the URLs? Uh, yeah, I'll do that. Let's see. Let's see here. Do, do, do. All right. Let me know how that works. Let's see. Let's see. Bum, 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 bum. Got a few more things to get to here. Thanks, everybody, for joining in. It's been good to see. Uh, properly raised beef isn't bad for the environment at all. In fact, the opposite is true. They just don't want us to consume the meat. Meat is the most nutritious Food from Flolu? Oh, yeah. It's very, very nutritious. I once knew a guy who was a uh, vegan for a short while anyway. And uh, he was trying this vegan diet for like six months. And like he was very liberal about saving the planet and, uh, you know, drove the Prius and all this stuff. But I go into his office one day and the dude's got a plate of chicken wings like it's like a mountain of chicken wings. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what happened to the vegan thing? And he's like, I couldn't do it, dude. I was dying. I literally felt like I was dying. And his face was covered in like the sauce. And <laughs> like, I was like, I told you, man. But uh, yeah, beef is uh, wonderful. I love chicken. It's awesome. Uh, but beef is no longer included in the CPI numbers since people can only afford chicken now. Well, there's something, yeah, you make a good point, Carl. Uh, there's something in the CPI called like substitution adjustments or something like this, hedonic adjustments. It basically says that if the value of one particular item, which can be substituted, gets above something else, then that item that people could otherwise consume gets included in the CPI instead. So, for instance, if beef prices are going up higher than chicken, the assumption in the CPI is that people are going to start eating chicken instead. And if chicken starts to go up more than, you know, tofu, people are just going to assume for the CPI calculations that people are eating tofu now. And then you're starting to eat bugs, and then you're at some point eating shit. Oh, excuse me. But, like, uh, that is right. I can't – I'll wait on going in on all those. Okay, so thanks, Carl. Uh, Mr. Moon just had some confit duck. Duck is awesome, dude. I love it. Yeah. I had duck for the first time a couple of years ago. And it's just like, 
it's rubbery the texture but it's just like so flavorly uh flavory that it's it's awesome i love it uh carl says proof of stake will make amazon a bunch of bucks uh yeah it could be there have been so many reports about like amazon starting to adopt crypto all of them have turned out to be fake and uh there's like a report about walmart adopting litecoin that ended up being fake as well so much grifting in the crypto space so much grifting changing your diet from one day to another is stupid because your body cannot handle the sudden change yeah you got to commit to it you got to commit to it also fasting is important you got to fast fasting helps you overcome a lot of the inflation from the modern diet and i'm not talking about the inflation from the economic or inflammation that's what i mean to say um and also get red pilled on the seed oils get red pilled on the seed oils i think i have a tab open for that we're going to talk about seed oils like canola oil and soy oil and all that stuff. Oh, it's so bad for you. Oh, it's so bad for you. I did a seven-day water fast as I had a stomach issue. It pretty much cured me. Yeah, it's incredible. Fasting is very good for you. Fasting is very good for you. So uh, let me go ahead and just link the live stream to the bros on Twitter so that we can get them in the chat. Let's see here. Cause I don't think I shared the link. Did I share it to Telegram? I don't. I don't quite remember. Let's see here. Twitter. Yeah, I'm new to the live stream thing. I don't have any capacity to super chat now, but I hope that you guys don't mind that I read your comments there, just in the chat, which is cool. Now, if you guys want to do like a private super chat, which we've been doing for a while now. Why is Mark, my, why is Michael Saylor at the top of my Twitter feed? Demonic attacks continue. Uh, so what should I say? Join us live. Af, uh, join us live uh, in the stream. I, I, I'll put that. Let's see if that works. So it says studio. Does this work? Sorry, I'm experimenting with this right now. Oh, it's taking me to his service. Okay, we don't need that. Uh, I'll learn all this stuff later. Tell everybody, you know, get in the chat. Uh-oh, we're frozen again. Okay. Uh, I'll just go back and answer y'all's questions and comments. Uh, where are we going? Oh, we're frozen here too. Hemp seeds are the best. Almost all processing degrades the quality of uh, the food. Also avoid omega-6s. Uh, what does that mean, fat back omega-6s? I know that some people take like omega-3s. Uh, is, that better? is that better than omega-6s? I know I like the three number better than the six. With three, you got the trinity, and then with six, you got... The devil. All right, let's see if this has been cured. Right, let me just delete this. I don't know what I was commenting. Delete. Delete. All right. Okay, let's just get back to what we we're talking about. So ESG, Norway's $1.4 trillion oil fund is divesting fast. So they're getting rid of many, many firms which do not have, quote-unquote, sustainable business models. Uh, and interestingly enough, this is an oil wealth fund. So 
is it not going to invest in its own oil anymore in order to get this money to divest from? I don't know. It's interesting. And one interesting thing that we've talked about is how an interesting, yeah, Halliburton is saying global oil scarcity is on the horizon. Could be. But forgetting the rare earth minerals from the ground in order to make uh, solar panels, in order to make wind turbines, uh, it's so environmentally destructive to get these things out of the ground. And I'm invested uh, personally in some rare earth mineral mining companies in Australia and the United States. And I think to myself that these are going to be considered non-ESG compliant at a certain point, just like gold mining companies for the most part have. That's why a lot of the gold mining companies are getting a lot of institutional money. But I suspect at some point they will, uh, just because the demand will be huge. I'm very bullish on gold mining companies and silver mining companies, but uh, it's not ESG. It's not ESG. But you need these minerals in order to make ESG energy technologies. So it's sort of like a catch-22. But this year alone, the fund has assessed sustainability risks across more than 400 companies that were added to the fund's index and chose to refrain from investing in nine companies that it believes will increase the fund's financial risk in the long term. Yep, yep, yep. And it's divested from 366 firms. Right. So this is like a social credit system for companies. And this is going to move its way down not only to corporations, but to also small businesses who need to get loans from banks and then individuals. And I think that the MSCI index, which is the Morgan Stanley Capital Index, which makes a lot of these ESG ratings, well, they have started to apply these ratings to individuals. And that is something to look out for. Maybe that gets integrated into the digital ID, uh, how much carbon you're emitting. I mean, we do know that MasterCard, and we talked about this in video, go check it out, is working on a credit card which limits your purchases based on the carbon emission from the purchases you're only allowed so much carbon consumption and i imagine that if you're rich you could buy carbon credits from people uh it's just going to be it's going to be like the catholic church back before the reformation when people were like giving the church money in order to have their sins forgiven in order for them to be cleanse of the wrongs that they were doing like it's going to be like that right i I forgot what the word is for it it's like uh buying faith or uh buying favors or something like this but that's what we're going into it's like the rich are going to be able to do whatever they want because they can just buy these credits and they can have like a higher credit rating because maybe they're donating to this firm or that firm or investing investing in this esg firm or whatever right if you're if you're greta thunberg and you're proselytizing the religion maybe you could fly all around the world and you're private jets and sail on your yachts and blah 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 right while the peon has to eat bugs in a box like who knows they're going to find some way around it of course but that is something to note esg is continuing bump 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 but something to remember is that is why elon must stop taking bitcoin for payment for his teslas is because a lot of the companies that were invested in tesla said hey bitcoin's not esg Therefore, we're going to have to divest from your company if you don't stop taking Bitcoin for payment for your cars. So the ESG thing is totally real. Uh, it's taking over the economy, right? And it's part of this uh, 
you know, green takeover. And one way to get exposure to that is through silver and through rare earth minerals. Um, I personally don't invest in solar companies or wind companies because I think a lot of them, uh, I just remember Solyndra, which ended up being a total scam. Uh, but you can invest in the materials that go into making these technologies. And given that these are commodities, these perform very well in inflationary environments. So you get a little bit of exposure to those developments. So shutting down pipelines, increasing leasing fees, and development curbs for oil and gas, growing ESG institutional investment barriers, as we just talked about. Western energy infrastructure self-sabotage continues. Biden halts federal aid to coal, oil, and gas projects overseas. That was my response to that. So, again, we see the self-sabotage of the energy infrastructure continuing. Now, some people are like, this isn't too big a deal. They're just trying to appease uh, the crazy environmentalist crowd. But the fact that the crazy environmentalist crowd has to be appealed to and taken seriously, and they actually have a stake as stakeholders over the energy infrastructure of the planet, is enough of a risk to me that says, okay, this needs to be hedged against because... Uh, they shouldn't be listened to. I'm not saying they shouldn't be listened to at all. Everyone should be listened to. It should be nice, blah, blah, blah. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, what they want is crazy. I mean, I'm not against solar panels. I'm not against wind turbines or whatever. Uh, whatever energy technologies we could adopt, which increase the amount of energy that we have access to is generally a good thing, I think. But to try to replace the most reliable, effective, and abundant energy resource we have with these rather untested technologies is a huge, huge gamble. And it spooks some people out, dude. Seriously. Uh, we should we should make this more gradual transition. But my concern is that because of the nefarious effects and consequences, or I guess you could say results, of the climate change movement, which means more surveillance, which means more control over the economy, curtailing human action, or to prevent more environmental damage, etc. Because this plays into the agenda of tyranny so much, I don't think that that's going to change. Right? It's just too much of a conflict of interest. And now the climate change industry has become so strong, which is somewhat of what's happening now with COVID, there's such an industry which is growing around this that the problem is never going to go away. It's never going to be fixed. Like you ask somebody, for instance, hey, what are the criteria that could be listed for climate change being fixed? Like what boxes can we check? Like what temperature are you comfortable with? Uh, at what point can we say, hey, we've developed enough of a efficient and sustainable energy infrastructure that, cool, we're done. We don't need to propagandize about this stuff anymore it, it, we've saved the world like at what point do we save the world right and there's no obvious answer to that it's just like the world's going to die if we don't continue in this direction but it's like how do we know when we're safe because this is a complex system we're talking about here with hundreds thousands millions of interdependent variables which all affect each other in ways which are totally unpredictable i mean physicists have done these experiments where it's like you put three uh, like balls, for instance, in, you know, a, a space. And you, like, flick one at another, and they start to hit each other and bounce around the space. 
after like five seconds, you can't predict where those balls are going. And that's just three interdependent variables. When you're dealing with the climate, with volcanoes booming, with weather events in the sea and hurricanes and developments of new technologies by human beings, probably the most unpredictable uh, unpredictable variable. You can't predict any of this stuff. Who knows? Maybe we come up with nuclear fusion tomorrow and all of our energy problems are fixed because we basically have free energy forever. I mean, who knows? Who knows, right? But there's no end game to this other than like global communism and like totalitarian technocracy. That's what this is playing all into. So we could perhaps expect this self-sabotage to continue. The more problems, the more there is a demand for a centralized governmental reaction and solution. That's typically the process. So this is an interesting tale. California looks to stab rooftop solar customers in the back with massive incentive rollback in new fees. So this is just hilarious. <laughs> this article is hilarious. By the way, this is from uh, Zero Hedge. And I think you guys can see the URLs now. Uh, oilprice.com. Uh, we've been reading a good bit of Zero Hedge today. And by the way, this is from RT, if I didn't make that clear. RT, uh, talking about Kazakhstan. So. California regulators are eyeing sharp reductions in subsidies for residential solar systems, uh, which would be the first major reform to a program that helped jumpstart the rooftop solar industry, according to Bloomberg. So this is hilarious. Whereas before you were incentivized to put solar panels on your roof uh, in order to get credits from the system because you were giving energy to the infrastructure as a result of the energy coming into your house, the excess is sent to the grid, you get a credit. Well, now they're reversing this as we're about to read. And now you're going to have to pay to be part of the system. I mean, just a total backstabbery. As part of a proposed series of changes issued on Monday by a judge at the California Public Utilities Commission, residential solar customers would receive a much lower credit for excess energy sent into the grid. So they're receiving a lower credit. And check this out. The proposal would also stick solar owners with a nearly $500 per year in uh, $500 per year in grid connection fees. Yeah, so you're going to get charged for being connected to the grid, and then you're going to get a lower credit. So you're not going to have to pay a residual cost, a reoccurring cost for having these solar panels on your roof, whereas you put them on your roof because you thought you were going to get uh, income from this. Hilarious. It's hilarious. Like, that's what happens when you trust the government, guys. Uh, political risk is a real risk to factor into your investment decisions. Now, these people probably thought, oh, cool, this is a green-loving government. They love the environment, so they're not going to do anything to backstab me as somebody who cares for the environment, as somebody who wants to help out the electricity system, which experiences consistent blackouts in California. No, it's like the government doesn't like you. The government is trying to do away with you. They want you to be feudal serfs in the new global plantation. That's what's going on. And if you don't understand that and you actually leave yourself exposed to the whim of politics, you're going to have more risk than you otherwise would think. And you're going to have consequences for that. Like that's what the Bitcoin bros I don't think understand. The Bitcoin bros get angry when regulations don't come out in their favor. Whereas we in Monero, we don't care. Like... Monero is largely regulation resistant, especially with Havana, especially with uh, Random X, decentralized mining, and all that stuff, right? 
not to mention the fact there's no development tax, there's no, uh, you know, um, pre-mine or anything like that, which could open up to open it up to regulatory attack. Uh, but even if there was, people would still use it. Now it'd be a little bit harder, as we talked about with Arctic Mine, if they come after the apps, for instance, like Apple, Microsoft, and Google. They said, okay, any apps that connect people to the Monero infrastructure, it's shut off. You can't access these anymore, and therefore you have to go to like open source software to get access. Uh, that could be a problem, but like anything that makes you overly dependent on government is going to backfire completely, completely. I mean, just expect this because we know what the end goal is. And that's what I keep saying. If you guys know the end goal of this stuff, which is scary for a lot of people to swallow, you can anticipate what's going to happen. I think unrealized capital gains tax are coming, for instance. And people thought I was a little bit out there for saying that at first, when I first started the channel. Like I said that on the very first video. Uh, it was easy to hand wave that away. Like somebody I comment, they're like, wait, this is totally discriminatory. This isn't nice. How could they do that? That's not, not constitutional. And it's like, no, you don't understand. Like these people, they don't care what's equal. They don't care what's fair. They don't care about any of this stuff. They just want your money. <laughs> and they're going to come up with whatever scheme to get it. And then we saw three months later, they actually made a push for unrealized capital gains taxes, right? So if you understand the end goal, it's just filling in the blanks, right? And these people thought the end goal was a sustainable, peaceful environment. That's what the government wanted. And they were on the same page as the government. And so they were going to go along with the government. And then they got backstabbed because they were deceived into thinking that the government was actually on their side when the government is actively warring against them. So that is a perspective to understand. That's important to note. Okay, so net metering. California's solar incentive program is known as net energy metering and it gives residential solar users a credit on their bill equal to the full retail price per kilowatt hour for excess electricity they send back to the grid the subsidy helped boost oh sorry by the way i'm used to my picture being up here i'll try to remember it's down here um the subsidy helped boost the installation of 1.3 million solar uh systems in homes across the state which is around 45 percent of the nation's total installations wow so Indeed, a key selling point of solar installations is how many years until the system reaches break-even. When the cost of installation is paid for by the savings, the return on net metering is a key component of this. Critics of the net metering says it allows rich homeowners with solar panels to effectively avoid paying their share, quote-unquote, of the cost of maintaining the grid infrastructure. So it says here, in Southern California... Uh, providers SDG and E and SCE jointly proposed a sharp decrease in solar subsidies, as well as a monthly connection charge approaching $100. Yeah. So you're going to have to pay monthly for being connected to the system. Now, are you going to get $100 in credits? I mean, I know it's sunny in California. It's nice, but I don't think so. So you're, you're not going to break even. You're just going to get deeper and deeper into financial trouble having these things. And maybe it's cheaper than gas, especially with what's going on with natural gas and oil. So maybe you've got that going for you. But who knows? I mean, if this is subject to change, again, you have political risk. And given how indebted California is, uh, yeah, you should anticipate this to change, 100%. Changes, the utility claims are necessary to make sure the solar users pay for their fair share of the costs of maintaining and upgrading the power grid. 
Yep, yep, yep. So solar companies would go out of business in towns all over the state, and the market would plummet if things such as monthly fees are adopted, according to Brad Hevener, policy director for the California Solar and Storage <coughs> Association. So, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And I know some people who still live in California, man. I don't know what they're thinking. You're not going to have a good time, bro. You're not going to have a good time. I'm going to load the comments because they're typically pretty funny. But, uh, yeah. This is funny coming up. But let me see what y'all are commenting. See what's going on in the chat. I know we've been going on for quite a while now. We've got 28 Monero bros in the chat. How are you guys doing? So, uh, Zaptos, as you say, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from Purgatory Springs. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, you're referring to uh, people paying the Catholic Church to get out of Purgatory. Right, right. Good point. Good point. Uh, Mr. Moon says, get outside. I've been swimming in the sea every day for the past six months. Yeah, that's pretty healthy. Never missed one day, and I feel great. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, Carl says, oh, goody. Then the military will have to cut down, right? Well, we're, we're about to get to that. Uh, they're going to try to put the military on solar power. Ugh. I joked about this in a previous video. I was like, yeah, what's next? They're going to put solar panels on the tanks? Dude, they're actually going to try to do that. I mean, they're thinking about giving Marines, instead of bow, uh, batteries to power themselves, like solar panels on their backs. Dude, China is giggling hardcore <laughs> right now about this stuff, dude. It's it's hilarious. Um, let's see. Mr. Moon, you are 100% right. Cold water is magic. Yeah, I've got to get back to taking cold showers. I try to stay on that schedule, but... Dude, when your hand is on the knob and it's like, I could just turn this a little bit, I could receive so much pleasure from just basking in the warmth of this shower. Do I really want to enact my own suffering by just not turning the handle a little bit? It takes a little bit of commitment, right? But once you get used to it, it's not that bad. Uh, in fact, for some people I know, it just doesn't get cold enough, you know? But it's really good for your blood vessels. It's good for your skin, blah, blah, blah. I get enough cold here. Cool. Uh, totally. Trust women to see. Okay, you guys are going on about interesting things. Ba -ba -ba. Emilio, you say, I live in California, but my wife and I are discussing moving as soon as our lease is up. Yeah, I would do that. I'm curious where you're thinking about moving, brother. Texas sounds pretty good. Uh, Idaho sounds pretty good, too. I know a lot of people are going from California to Idaho, and you're not going to be liked there. <laughs> like The Idaho people do not like the Cali bros coming into their landscape. Uh, they want to keep Idaho the way it is, and this is something that a lot of people have concerns about, right? Because New York, uh, Michigan, California, and some of these other uh, deeply blue states, like you're going to see a huge outflow of people in these states into red states because the policies that they voted for are leading to dystopias, and they want to leave to somewhere that's nicer, except they're probably going to take their voting habits with them, and then they're going to spread that misery to everybody else. So please don't do that. <laughs> Uh, if you are going to another state, integrate into the culture. Like if the state is working properly, like Idaho or Montana, assimilate into the culture. Okay? Like this is just a respectful thing to do. Don't bring your nutty political opinions. Don't bring your uh, – uh, don't bring what it is you came from into 
the nicer place, right? Like, don't track mud into the kitchen is what I'm saying. So I'm not saying you're going to do that, Emilio. You seem pretty based. But, uh, yeah, it's just something for people to know. That would be nice. And that goes for everyone coming from everywhere, by the way. Don't be uh, uh, like some of these people in Congress, right? You guys know who I'm talking about. All right. So where are we now? I'm excited to get to the coronavirus stuff because there's a lot going on there. And I don't really talk about that a lot on the channel, but it's becoming kind of hard to ignore. But let's listen to our noble and glorious vice president. Do you guys think, like, Kamala Harris would lead people into battle? Like, could you imagine Kamala Harris on, like, a white galloping glory horse, like, going into battle with, like, a sword? Ah! Like, literally, I think everyone would just be sitting on her horse seeing her just go into, like, a pile of horde, right? <laughs> oh, man, then they'd probably just turn around and go back to camp. Glad that's over. But, yeah, uh, Kamala Harris is saying that the U.S. military needs to be net zero. <sighs> you can just feel the gasp. Now, this was actually from a while ago. Now, everyone commented on this video because it was cringe, of course. She's a cringe woman and has no charisma at all. But, like, people were like, oh, well, she's talking about uh, women Marines, how woke of her. But, no, it's much more concerning than women being in the Marines. It's not too big of an issue to me. You don't want them probably in the same groups, right? You don't want to have, like, weird gender dynamics interfering with military uh, protocol and operation and discipline. Uh, but, like... The real issue here is the fact that they're trying to in interfere with the energy infrastructure of the military. Oh, man, that that's actually scary. That's and just scary. ask any Marine today, would she rather carry 20 pounds of batteries or a rolled-up solar panel? And I am positive she will tell you a solar panel and so would he. <laughs> uh, Man, I just got shriveled, dude. I just got shriveled. I felt my hair spook up and not in the right way. Let's see. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? I mean, it's like self-sabotage of the military that's happening. And they've purged people and we're going to get to this with the corona stuff they've purged respectable officials and leaders in the military for not getting the jab so i said this a couple months ago this vaccination mandate in the military is going to be a way to weed out those who have critical thinking who have questioning and who can actually lead and make good decisions and I'm not saying everybody who takes the vax doesn't have these capacities. Don't get me wrong. But, like, uh, it, it's a way to consolidate power. And it's a way to purge opposition, I think, to some degree. Uh, we'll get to that. But we talked about India and Russia a little bit before. I just want to briefly go over this. But Russia and India are continuing to cozy up with each other. And the Eurasian zone is starting to really integrate more as the U.S. continues to fall apart. So it says, this is from oilprice.com, posted on Zero Hedge. Russia last week announced a major new cooperation deal with India that threatens the very core of the U.S.'s fight-back strategy against Beijing and Moscow's expansionism in the Middle East and beyond. Yep. 
the main hydrocarbons deal will be for Russia via oil giant Rosneft to supply almost 15 million barrels of crude uh, to Indian oil. Now, again, you see Russian energy just continuing to expand in influence. Now, I'm not invested in Rosneft, but um, yeah, Russian oil is a good play by the end of 2022. Given the massive geopolitical ramifications of any sizable oil deal, it was entirely legitimate for Igor Sechin, Rosneft's chief executive officer and close friend of Vladimir Putin, to say of the deal that the signing of a new oil supply contract confirms the strategic nature of the long-term partnership between Rosneft and Indian oil, i.e. Russia and India. Right? So we're seeing that continue. And energy is very key for geopolitics. Uh, you get a lot of leverage over countries based on how much energy you can supply to them, as well as finance, of course. And that's why we have the petrodollar. You know, a lot of contracts with oil, even between Russia and other nations and China, etc., particularly Saudi Arabia, which is a key uh, cornerstone of that petrodollar system. Like that's very beneficial to the United States to have those contracts settled in dollars, settled with our currency. Um, cause that creates demand for the dollar, which, you know, is backed by the U S military. And that makes it so that we can recycle those, um, well, Saudi Arabia, they recycle a lot of the profits from oil into the U S they buy arms from the U S more money goes to the U S gets funded into the military and the military protects Saudi Arabia and whoever else is part of the petrodollar system. Now, because the U S military is becoming, Evidently, as we just talked about, ever more incompetent and unreliable, uh, they're going to be looking to pivot to an ally which is more close to them uh, that they otherwise want to have an alliance with, right? And that's going to be Russia. But I think Russia has started, at least with China, um, to settle oil contracts in, in their own currency, in a currency other than the dollar. And that's going to continue, especially as we see more of this, which means the value of the dollar is going to go down. There's going to be less demand for it. And Russia is going to pick up ever more influence because, again, they're not going along with this woke climate crap, which means their oil companies are going to become ever more competitive compared to Western oil companies, which means they're going to be able to supply the energy needs of other countries more so than Western countries, which means they're going to have more geopolitical leverage. So that's something to note. The deal takes on an even more significance as it was just one part of 28 investment deals between Russia and India signed during the very recent visit of Putin himself to Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. So 28 investment deals. Wow. Now, these countries make deals all the time. Like there is an organization, I'm not sure how influential it is anymore, but it used to be called the BRICS system. I still... I, I think it still exists. Like you got Brazil, you got Russia, you got India, China, and I'm, I forgot what S was in that relationship. But uh, yeah, there are deals always going on, but these ones are particularly uh, interesting in this time. These covered a broad range of subjects, including not only just oil and gas, but petrochemicals, steel, uh, shipbuilding, and military matters. The opportunities for bleed-through military elements to appear in the oil and gas projects agreed between Russia and India, and they're bad enough from the U.S. perspective. Right. Yep, so that's something to note. Bad those deals are from the U.S. perspective of seeing Russia being able to leverage them into military opportunities in, Mind in India. Uh, matters became a whole lot worse as the meetings between Putin and Modi 
went on. As it stands now, a joint statement from Russia and India said, we have reiterated their intention to strengthen defense cooperation, including in joint development of both production of military equipment. So they're going to be making a lot of Kalashnikovs, a lot of AKs. Uh, now, I don't see why this is disturbing for the U.S., particularly, especially given we just left the Taliban $80 billion, but they are pretending to be concerned about this because those Kalashnikovs could be used by the terroristas and other militias across the Middle East. Uh, maybe they're upset by that because typically we're the ones supplying the weapons to the quote-unquote moderate rebels, right? Uh, maybe they take over our market share of Middle Eastern bloodshed. But uh, they also say that a 2018 contract for the S-400 air defense missile system is now being implemented. Right, and uh, we got angry with Turkey a number of years ago because they decided to purchase the Russian S-400 air defense missile system instead of the Patriot missiles, which is what we supply. Russia's got good tech, right? Uh, The scope and scale of this coup by Putin in India is as dramatic as is unexpected and runs contrary to the U.S. expectations of how well its contra uh, China-Russia strategy in the Middle East have been going. The U.S. fight back against China's aggressive expansion of influence in the Middle East was founded principally upon the relationship normalization deals that have been made with the UAE, Bahrain, Israel, and on India's role as a counterbalance to China in Asia and as a major global buyer of oil and gas. So chess pieces continue to move. That's the main thing I want to point out in this article is that the U.S. is losing control. Uh, and they're losing dominance. Like, we're going from a U.S. hegemonic global system to a multipolar system. And who knows if China becomes the hegemon and decides to betray the people that helped it get to where it got, and then they make a move for global dominance, which could be happening. I think they're setting up an Atlantic military base right now, which is going to give them a presence in the Atlantic Ocean, which is interesting. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Russia triumph in India shocks the U.S. This is from RT, and we just talked a little bit about this. We're not going to reiterate it, but it's it's worthy news to know. So let me close this, and let's go ahead and get on to the COVID news. Just a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on. So we had some... Oh, where are we? do do Let's see what y'all are talking about. Let's see. You get a ton of healthy bacteria and minerals from being in the ocean. You guys are just talking about the ocean. You love it. Uh, You don't know when you're going to move. I prefer cold and cloudy weather. Well, you're different from me. Uh, I am a summer. I'm a summer boy. Uh, you're welcome. I used to think conspiracy theorists were nuts. Now I'm waiting for the reptilians to come out of hiding. <laughs> I mean, they already have. They already have. Haven't you seen Clinton come out of her cave? There's some like conspiracy now that uh, before Biden passes into the great unknown, uh, the fiery pits of, well, who knows? We'll let God sh- judge him. But it could be that uh, somehow Hillary is appointed to the VP uh Level. I don't know if that can happen. There's some speculation about that, but she's still in the game. She just can't get enough of it. But yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. So let's just get to the COVID news. How long have we been here? 
How long have we been here? Uh, it doesn't say, but we'll keep rocking and rolling. We'll keep rocking and rolling because we're getting to the interesting part now. This is from the Jewish deplorable. Now, that's not my words. That's his words. Uh, but he is posting a video from Jim Cramer uh, about military Lord mandates. Sorry, let me check my phone real quick. Sorry, someone's calling me. Not right now. Uh, but yeah, let's listen to this and we'll comment on it. Who knows what happened if you didn't partake? But back then, anyone who refused to get vaccinated would get ratted out immediately because we knew that person could hurt other people. The commonweal was a, a commonweal. Now we're engaged in a similar struggle with COVID and Eisenhower would be aghast. We have immunocompromised people who are incubators for every variant to come, walking around lawfully unvaccinated. That's psychotic. We have companies that have tried hard to get people vaccinated Crazy. and now backing down. We have governors who want to be president by grandstanding on a foolish state's right issue, the right to get sick and get other people sick. So it's Guys, you don't have the right to get sick anymore. I'm sorry to tell you that time is over. That's going to be the next thing to be included in the Bill of Rights. That's the next amendment that needs to be made. Thou shalt not be sick. That should be a commandment, frankly. Thou shalt not be sick. Add it on, Moses. It's time to admit that we have to go to war against COVID. He's saying that they want to go to war against you if you're unvaccinated. That's basically what he's saying. Require vaccination universally. Have the military run it. And he wants to deploy the military against you. But hey, good thing. The military is going to be run on solar panels, so we'll have a fighting chance, guys. If you don't want to get vaccinated, you better be ready to prove your conscientious objector status in court. And even that. So, yeah. And you need to help in the war effort by staying home until we finally beat this thing. So how about this? I will prove my conscientious objector status in court, but also with a lovely thing we call the Second Amendment, Jim. Seriously, if anyone comes to my door wanting to stab me with some unknown substance which is causing people to drop dead like flies, uh, no thanks. I'm going to politely decline. Uh, with full force. We'll see where that goes. Uh, serious question, which country successfully vaccinated its citizens out of the pandemic? Well, we'll get to that. I mean, there is no evidence right now that says that if you are vaccinated, you can't spread the disease. People are spreading this thing. In fact, most of the people getting this new variant, the Omicron variant, are vaxxed. That's what the data says. But as we're about to get to, you can't say this on Twitter or else they're going to ban you, even though the head of the CDC had come out and admitted this. So this is just how crazy things are getting. Let's continue. But yeah, it's becoming popularized and we're being goaded into believing that we need a mandated vaccination campaign for everybody. At that point, something's going to break because a lot of people just aren't going to put up with this. And if you look at uh, Europe, if you look at Australia, countless protests all the time. We love to see it. All of you coming out there to protest. Good for you. My heart goes out to you. I'll pray for you. But uh, yeah, at some point, either things are going to break or like we're all just going to be Winston at the end of 1984 and just be like, OK, take me. I submit. But we talked about the complicity trap in another video in Switzerland, an interesting thing to note was that as so six months before they had a vote on whether or not the government should be allowed to mandate vaccination through 
COVID passports, which is basically a, a vaccine mandate, because if you mandate COVID passports to go to places, well, then that means people have to get vaxxed, right? It's not that complicated, but like the thing is about, if I remember right, 60% of the people polled said that the government should have that power. Like it's perfectly okay, pandemic laws, plague laws, let them have it. This is good for the public health. Six months of protests, six months of radical opposition, I'm not going to say radical, but forceful opposition, protests in the streets all the time, debates on the public stage. What happened at the end of six months? What happened in that direct democracy vote? Most people voted again for COVID passports and for the government to have this power. And essentially, it's never going to go away now. But... More people, after that six months, actually wanted this to happen, which means that the people throughout those six months who ended up having to get the jab or were convinced into it or just got it because they wanted to stop dealing with the headaches associated with not having it, well, then they fell into a complicity trap that said, well, I want other people to get it too. I had to take this thing. I incurred the risks. Therefore, I want other people to take this thing now. Uh, They may not tell you that, but that to some degree, is what a lot of people who get the vax experience. Now, some people will fight against the mandate because they see what comes as a derivative of this on the road to to, uh, totalitarian authoritarianism, right? Because that's going to be integrated into uh, the data passport, the Internet of Bodies, Internet of Things, etc., Mark of the Beast, whatever you want to call it, microchip, who knows. But like... uh, a lot of people are just like, look, we can't have these people free ride on the system. These people who are not vaccinated. We need to get them vaxxed because I vaxxed for everybody else. I didn't just vax for myself. I vaxxed for other people. Look how nice I am and all this other stuff, uh, which a lot of them did mean well, right? I mean, I'm not saying that they didn't, but there's like that free rider problem that comes into the picture. And so they want other people to get included. Uh that is going to continue. That is going to continue as the pressure increases, as more people fall into this. So just expect that and make sure um, your faith is right because they're going to make it more difficult for you. Uh, let's see what you guys are commenting. Yeah, people are going down. Uh, I used to think conspiracy theorists were nuts, blah, blah, blah. Just a heads up, be careful about YouTube's TOS. I don't want to see you booted from the platform. Well, I hope not. Uh, we'll see what happens. But up to 300,000 people facing heart-related illnesses due to post-pandemic stress disorder. Yeah, that's pretty wild. But is it post-pandemic? Is that where we're at? Is that where we're at? Are we past the pandemic? Is it over? I don't think so. But now 300,000 people, according to this Yahoo report, are facing heart-related illness. And it's because of stress. Guys, it's just stress, okay? Now, I'm sure for some people it is, but, uh, you know, I think there are other theories, right? I don't know if you're allowed to say them, but I think there are other theories. Up to 300,000 people in the UK are facing heart-related illnesses due to post-pandemic stress disorder, two London physicians have warned. This could result in a 4.5% rise in cardiovascular cardiovascular cases, blah, blah, blah. So we don't need to go through all that. But they're saying it's because of, like, anxiety or whatever. (laughs) Uh, PPSD, that's what they're going to call it now. You got PPSD. It's not that you got 
the clot shot, it's you have PPSD. Thanks to stress and anxiety caused by the effects of COVID. Stress and anxiety, that's what they're going to chalk this up to. And there have already been reports that have come out that have said people are having heart problems because of climate change. So that's going to be the next thing that comes across. Right. And, uh, you know, there are like uh, advertisements on buses, I think, that say, hey, these are signs to look out for if your kid is having a heart attack. <laughs> it's just like, ugh. Oh, man, it's wild. So they're grooming the population to be goaded into this new reality where people are just dropping as a result of heart attacks. Like, this is completely normal, you're led to believe. And maybe they shut down sports, you know, because that's where a lot of people are seeing it. A lot of people are seeing, like, these uh, soccer players just collapse on the field or they point to their chest and they're having trouble breathing. And it's happening much more often than it has ever happened. And... You know, you can't be allowed to see that, right? Because people are going to start to have questions. And there was one commentator who had questions about this. And I think he started to chat. He's just like, yeah, I wonder if these people had the facts. I know people are wondering about this. And then they shut off the stream. (laughs) They shut them off from talking. So, I mean, in this new world, you're not allowed to connect obvious patterns. But at that point, they're going to have to censor the information. And they're going to have to make it so that you can't even see what's happening right in front of you because, obviously, you're not insane. You see these things. So they're saying that there's a dramatic rise in physical health issues such as coronary heart failure. And I think they had talked about myocarditis in here. Um, I don't know, but there are more articles on this. Let's check them out. I think I've been going on for like three hours, it feels like. We're probably close to that. Let's see. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep. Deciding what to eat, a republic is two wolves and a well-armed sheep to contest the vote. Yes, a republic is much better. People forget that we are a republic, not a democracy, and there are differences between those. Um, Democracy you don't want. Who's that like uh, Indian sage or whatever? He's like, democracy is for the people, by the people, of the people, but the people are retarded. (laughs) And it's just like, yeah, you got it right. Uh, Fortunately, and we're about to talk about the surging hospital cases, uh, heavily vaccinated northeastern states struggle with surging hospitalizations. Fortunately, Pfizer is just about ready to roll out its new COVID pill which is probably just ivermectin, and it looks blue. So it's a nice blue pill they're going to give everybody because case numbers are rising rapidly in the northeastern U.S., a part of the country that was previously overlooked because of high vaccine rates, right? So again, you're not allowed to notice obvious patterns, right? So throughout this entire span here, you had a reopening of the economy, and now they're starting to lock down while everybody is vaccinated and cases are going up. But now emergency rooms across the region, which includes much of the Empire State, as well as the six states that comprise New England, are overflowing, while infection rates soar. Yep. So most people in New England are vaxxed, I think. They are the most strict on that. And I think in Maine, they had mandated for all of the healthcare workers to be vaxxed. Many people quit, and now they're calling in like the military, 
uh, because they're having a lot of hospitalizations in these areas. Now, whether it's as a result of COVID or the solution, quote unquote, to COVID, what was sold to be the solution, uh, we can't know for sure. I certainly have my suspicions about that. But uh, now they're getting the military to fill these roles. So who knows? Maybe we're about to see like a military takeover of the medical system. I don't know. I don't know. Things are crazy. Admissions involving patients with COVID climbed 14.4% across the U.S. in the week ending December 9th, according to the Department of Health and Human Services. In New England, the rate was more than double. Uh, 33.5%. Goodness gracious. That is wild. The latest surge is happening in what is perhaps the most vaccinated area of the U.S. In Massachusetts, where 88% of the population has had at least one dose of the vaccine. 88% of the population has had one dose. That is wild. And typically for vaccines, that's what you need, right? You need one polio shot. You need one smallpox shot. But now with this, they're telling you that you're going to need boosters like every six months. And who knows what other medical issues are going to be tacked on top of that that are unique to you. You know, if you don't take your medicine in the morning, your passport doesn't light up green or something like this, right? Who knows how they could expand this out? The pretext is something to consider. The state is planning to send out more than 2 million rapid antigen tests to the poorest communities. And one thing that's interesting to note is that it's mainly urban populations which are not getting the vaccine at the same rate as people in rural and suburban populations. So that is something to note. Think of the implications of that. Just think of the implications of that. There's a lot there to unpack. Uh, Maybe if we have time, we'll talk about that later. Just a few days ago, uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul ordered masks to be worn inside all businesses in in the state, largely because cases and hospitalizations have been climbing upstate and in western New York. So the mask mandates are back. And do you remember back in May when Biden said, hey, you get the vax, you don't got to wear the mask anymore. And I know how much you hate wearing these masks. You just got to get the stab and you'll be able to take it off. You'll be free. You can breathe. Now, well, now they're back on and you've taken three shots. So, you know, at what what point do people turn around and say, hey, this is BS. I'm not taking it. Since Thanksgiving, New York State's seven-day average case rate has increased 43%, and hospitalizations have increased 29%. The percentage of vaxxed Americans has increased about two percentage points in the same period, clearly not fast enough to curb the spread of the virus. So, yeah. Yep, so as we mentioned before, as far as hospitalizations go, Maine, New Hampshire, and New York have all activated the National Guard to help hospitals treat COVID patients. And I'm pretty sure in all of these states, except New Hampshire, I don't believe New Hampshire they have this, but uh, if you are a healthcare worker, even though you are a hero, you are somebody who the nation looked up to during the heart of the pandemic— If you don't get the jab, even though you are a medical professional and you don't think it's good for you, well, then you're going to get fired. So just consider that. Again, it's crazy. And now that they have staffing shortages, they're bringing in the military. So New Hampshire, which has the highest seven-day case rate of any state in the U.S., is also sending residents free at-home rapid COVID tests. And we're going to get to an article in a little bit talking about how these tests— could be taking your DNA and that DNA 
could then be downloaded into a database and then sold to third parties. And some people speculate it's being sold to China. Pretty wild. Within a day of the November 29th offer to send tests to any resident, all 800,000 tests were taken and another round was pledged, but none have been delivered. Okay, I don't know what that means. New Jersey and in other states, hospitals are cutting back on elective procedures and other less urgent healthcare procedures to allocate more resources to fighting COVID. But you know what's interesting about this is that we are talking with the climate stuff about how nonlinear and how complicated the world is, right? If you look at one particular data set and you look at particular data points, that could distract your awareness and your attention from other data sets, which may be impacting each other's each other in ways that are worse than what's going on in this data set. So, for instance, you focus on the case numbers for COVID, right? You're not focusing so much on the deaths, maybe, or the mortality rate, or, uh, you know, the serious illness rate. You're just focusing on the cases. Well, you may try whatever you can to get those cases down, lockdowns, mass, whatever. But there are economic consequences to that, right? There's a whole data set over here, which is just being ignored at the expense of this data set, which favors cases at the top of the hierarchy of things that need to be addressed, right? And so given that this is a complicated system and given that the medical community has kind of taken over with the politicians, with the media in this unholy alliance where the media freaks people out and encourages people to go to the medical system for help in order to assuage their anxieties and their fears, and then those people who go to the medical system and submit to what it is that needs to be done from a health perspective in order to make society better, those people go to the politicians and say, hey, you need to help the medical system have people be introduced to the medical system by force or through mandates or through whatever legislation that incentivizes that, right? Because people are scared as a result of the media. You need to do these things, right? And so you have all of these forces coming together in an unholy alliance, which feeds on itself. And so because certain data sets are being amplified to the nth degree, you know, child suicides, for example, and depression in children who are having to wear a mask all day in school, like that's being completely ignored, right? How about like the 800,000 children who are abducted every year in the United States, many of which go missing? Like if you want to have passports or you want to have like, you know, data location trackers on people, that would be the reason for that. Not to contract trace, uh, contact trace people who have what is essentially the flu, right? That makes more sense. But we're not focusing on that crisis. We're instead focusing on this crisis at the expense of so many other things which are going on. How about drug overdoses? 100,000 people died in the United States last year because of drug ODs. But nobody's paying attention to that, again, because people are focusing, focusing on like case numbers for this thing. So I think we need a realignment, obviously, of what it is we find to be of highest import for the people of the country. Um, but who knows if that happens, right? Because there are so many agendas tied into this that we could expect it to continue. So that's to note. And this is all before the Omicron variant, which is supposedly better at evading the protections afforded by the vaccines. And that's perhaps how they're going to frame it. Uh, so let's look at the VAERS information here. 
Vera's data for the week. This is December 3rd, 2021. To quote Rochelle Walensky, to date, no serious safety concerns have been identified. Well, let's look at the data, right? Let's look at the data. So there have been almost 20,000 deaths as a result of the COVID vaccine. This is according to the government's own numbers. There have been 102,000, almost 103,000 hospitalizations. Uh, 105,000 almost, uh, or 104,000 urgent care incidents. 148,000 doctor office visits. Uh, and the phylaxis, I don't even know what that is, 8,000 instances. Almost 12,000 instances of Bell's palsy. 10,000 heart attacks, 17,000 myocarditis, and it just goes on. Read this. This is what people are experiencing. And who knows how this is affecting people's sterility? Who knows what the long-term effects of this stuff are for cancers and other things like that? Right? We don't know because this was rolled out in nine months. Typically for a vaccine, it takes many years of testing. Right? And they rolled this out. And, the, and I think the FDA is saying that they want 75 years. 75 years before the data about this vaccine is released to the public. And I think for JFK's assassination, it was like 50 years. We haven't seen it yet. They keep rolling it back. But why do they need 75 years? I mean, you know the answer to that, right? I don't have to explain that. And here's Walensky saying uh, vaccines are safe for children, 5 to 11. They have undergone the most comprehensive and intense safety monitoring system in U.S. history. That's just a total lie. To date, no serious safety concerns have been identified. Vaccination is the best way to protect children from COVID-19. No. No, it's not. It's not. Children already have a very strong immune system. They're barely exposed to the risk of COVID. Barely at all. But obviously the risks of the vaccine are pretty significant, right? And I think there is somebody uh, who's like a, a billionaire in the medical field. He's an entrepreneur, a really smart guy. I think his name is like Kernster or something like that. He had done the cost-benefit analysis of giving vaccines to children. It didn't make any sense at all. He calculated that for every life that you would save for a child with the vaccine, you know, you seriously injure or take out like more than 100 others. I mean, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable what's going on. So I hope YouTube doesn't shut off my stream. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, did I get did I get shut down? Uh, how's the stream? How's the stream? How's the stream? Okay, cool. No evidence whatsoever that the snake oil does anything beneficial. I think you're right, Zenor. Yeah, there's more to go into here. Uh, and let me know in the comments what you guys think. I'm kind of here to chat with you guys, too. Uh... If you guys perhaps are not digging what we're chatting about, let me know if you want to chat about something else. But I think this is really key information to understand. Uh, I know that some of what we've talked about so far today is spooking people out. <laughs> like, I totally get it. Uh, but this is very useful information. And look, I'm up for debate. I'm up to talk about the data with you guys. And if you have different sets of data that I could look at, let me know. But uh, this is what we're dealing with, right? This is what we're dealing with, I think. You need to come with a code word for Vax. 
Yeah, I used to do that, but I've just run out of patience with the whole censorship thing. I really have. Uh, I'm still alive, good. Yeah, I've just run out of patience. And I'm already this far down the rabbit hole, right? Maybe I'll do it in the future. And isn't it just so wonderful how today we applied to be <laughs> partnered with YouTube and Google for monetization? We'll see what happens with that. But ultimately, guys, go follow me on Odyssey. This is recording on uh, the OBS software. So I'll be able to put the recording live on uh, the other channels that I have up. So go to Odyssey, go to Rumble. I'll have the podcast MP3 version put onto Podbean. If you just want the MP3, you don't need the video, uh, which I guess didn't matter too much for this video because my screen was taken up by my ugly face. But like, yeah, uh, we've got 20 people here. What's up? What's up? Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys back. So if you guys are down, let's keep chatting. Bum, bum, bum. All right, Moon Man. I'll see you in a bit. So, yeah, I kind of want to skip through this stuff. There's just so much news in regards to this always going on that it's hard to keep up. But this is one key thing that I want to talk about right now uh, because Twitter has a new CEO in town. There's a new sheriff. And apparently, um, he's very touchy about a lot of things, right? Say one thing, groiperish, you're gone. And in regards to this stuff, what they're saying now is that Twitter is going to penalize users who claim that vaccinated people can spread COVID-19. <clears throat> so, uh, oh, we're frozen. We're frozen, man. We're frozen, we're frozen. All right. Well, let's see what's going on with you guys. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, this is much more interactive. I like it. And I want to have like a call-in show at one point so that I can talk to you guys. We could uh, chat about whatever it is you want. But, uh, yeah, what are you guys up to? What are you guys up to? Nothing much. Just chilling out. Very cool. Let me know what you guys think of the live stream because I'm not able to make videos every day like I used to anymore. And again, all the videos that we made on Monero, all the videos that we made on parallel economies, the importance of that, and everything else going on is still completely relevant today. And there's a lot of good stuff there. Go check it out. And what I'll do is I'll make clips of those. I'll make, I'll make clips of those and I'll put it online uh, for people to digest in just kind of like bite-sized pieces. Uh, but I think it's fun to just kind of have like a weekly stream where we talk about the news, we talk about what's going on with Monero. Uh, crypto, and everything else going on in our crazy wild world. Three hours, is that what we're at? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And we've got a little bit more to go through. Very cool stream. Thank you. So, yeah, we could do this every week. We could chillax, talk about stuff going on. Maybe I will uh, make it a little bit more PC next time. Maybe this will slip onto the YouTube I have saw on radar, right? Because we've said some things that maybe they don't like. Maybe they've said some things. But I am getting a little bit drawn out, but I do want to go through everything that I've gotten pulled up. Let's see if it's back. Okay. 
Did it happen yet? No? Not yet. Okay, so this is from MSN.com. Twitter who Twitter to penalize users who claim vaccines. Uh, oh, it's cut off right there. Hold on. Let me say this again. Twitter to penalize users who claim vaccinated people can spread COVID-19. Okay, so we've seen this. You've probably seen this. But, yeah, it says from the CDC, early data suggests infections in fully vaccinated persons are more commonly observed with the Delta variant, and they go into the details. But, look, Walensky says right here that COVID vaccines can't prevent transmission despite working exceptionally well. Well, who knows? But, like, let's listen to her straight from the horse's mouth. Um, Our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. So if you're going home to somebody who has not been. So the CDC is giving Twitter this nudge saying that, hey, people who say that. Vaccinated people can spread the disease should be penalized. She's literally saying this right here. Vaccinated to somebody who can't get vaccinated, somebody who might be immunosuppressed or a little bit fail, uh, frail, somebody who has um, a comorbid. And she always talks like she's got a gun in the back of her head. Have you guys noticed that? Is something going on with Walensky? Does she have other allegiances than to us, the working class people of the United States? Who knows? But clearly the vaccines are not working. I mean, and this isn't even controversial. And some people say, oh, the vaccine is like making these symptoms less. And, uh, you know, if you get COVID, you're not going to suffer as much. But, dude, a vaccine is supposed to prevent you from getting the disease and spreading it. That's why we don't have smallpox. That's why we don't have polio. We took the vaccine, therefore we don't get it and we don't spread it. That's not happening with this. But they're changing the definition of a vaccine to something which makes it more like a therapeutic instead of something which makes you immune to the disease. And we've already got therapeutics that work incredibly well, that India is using, that other countries are using. And uh, that information has been suppressed actively. Uh, I forgot what his name was. He was on Joe Rogan uh, recently. I think it was Mark uh, Weinberg or something like this. But yeah, he's been talking about ivermectin forever. Seems to work really well. Joe, Joe Rogan took ivermectin when he had COVID. He was cured, right? So there are therapeutics to take care of this stuff. But they're telling you the only way to fix this is to get vaccinated because there is another agenda tied into this. So, uh, yeah, UK reports 78,000 new coronavirus cases, by far the biggest one-day increase on record. Okay, I mean, like... Biggest increase on record after the vaccination campaign has been out for like a year now. Completely 180 of what they said was going to happen. So the goalposts are just going to continue to change on this stuff. And there's going to be no end as long as the goalposts continue to change. Same thing with climate change, right? Because there's no end point, there's no, okay, have we saved the world yet? Have we adopted enough of these alternative energy technologies to be okay with using a little bit of oil here and there. I mean, uh, is the temperature going to stay stable now? Like, there's no endpoint. It's just more tyranny, more tyranny, more tyranny, more tyranny until you're just in a global communist quarantine camp. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, 
always ask what the null hypothesis is. Always ask what are the criteria that we can use to determine that these concerns are either invalid or these concerns have been addressed. Because if you don't have that, then you can't adequately approach the problem and determine whether or not what you're doing is actually being effective. And if the thing that you want to do just is more tyranny, then there's going to be incentives for that null hypothesis to not exist, to not determine whether or not the problem has been fixed or not. Because the solution for the problem continuing to exist is always more government and is always part of the agenda of the people who are in control. So that's something to note. So we're seeing more quarantine camps. And this is a concerning development. Back to Zero Hedge. We're reading a lot of Zero Hedge today. But uh, it's one of my go-to websites. If you have other sources, let me know. But this is just what they're saying is going on. Hong Kong forcing UK-US arrivals into quarantine camps after a single asymptomatic Omicron case. Yeah. And look, China recently just had a case of the Omicron. One case. And they put like 250,000 people on like a lockdown high alert situation. It's insane what's happened. And I think that's how New Zealand and Australia got down this path of total tyranny. It was just a couple people who got the disease. And then they're like, cool, we're going to lock everything down and just go total Mao. <laughs> and look at where they are now. They have quarantine camps now popping up too. Same thing with Canada. But now if you're going to Hong Kong, from the UK or US, you've got to go into a quarantine camp, what they're calling a quarantine hotel that you have to pay for, by the way. Hong Kong residents returning from the United States are being forced to spend one week in a Spartan quarantine camp, after which they must serve out two weeks in a hotel room that they pay for themselves. Yeah, I mean, look at these things, dude. These things look like they're on, like, you know, the shadow of the moon or whatever, the dark side of the moon. This looks like where reptilians sleep. <laughs> like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And in Australia, like, three people escaped. And on the news, this is how Orwellian it's getting. On the news, they're telling people, yes, we had a couple young men escape over the barbed wire from the voluntary quarantine camp. It's just like, did you just say voluntary? <laughs> like, wait, wait, is it voluntary or are these people trapped in a barbed wire laden camp and they're not allowed to leave? <laughs> like which is it dude and uh yeah it's just total gaslighting but we're seeing more of this pop up so new measures which were announced on friday come after the city's health authorities elevated the country to the highest level covid19 risk prompted by one confirmed case of the omicron variant in a traveler from the u.s so one traveler and now all these quarantine camps which they've already had built which indicates that they knew this was coming right or at least they had hedged for this I'll have you parse out which makes more sense. But, yeah, these things are already totally built. Right? Uh, in a press release, the city said that those arriving from the U.S. would be subject to the most stringent quarantine and testing requirements. And mind you, they're, if they're telling you you have to get tested, then to some degree that is a vax mandate too. It's just a soft one because you've got to pay for the test. And you've got to submit to these tests, which takes time out of your day. There are expenses that go along with this. And so your life obviously becomes a lot easier, or at least that's what they tell you if you get the vax. So um, Hong Kong has in place the most stringent inbound 
prevention and control measures in the world that enabled the successful prevention of the Omicron variant from entering the community. If you're from the UK, you got to do the same thing. And this guy says, it's stressful and frustrating to travel. Uh, my children will have to spend Christmas on their own. Yeah. Yeah. So they're doing this around Christmas, right? Which is quite something. Uh, of, no- of note, Hong Kong has virtually no COVID, while approximately 80% of the residents aged 80 and above are unvaccinated. So, yeah. Another interesting data point right there. Hong Kong doesn't have too much of a COVID problem. 80% of residents... 80 and above, at least, are unvaxxed. And, of course, 80 and above, that's the main prime group that you want to get vaxxed, assuming that the vax works, but 80% of residents are not. So, pretty interesting. So, look at these camps. Doesn't that just remind you of when you were a kid and you are excited to go to summer camp? Oh, boy. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't look too exciting. I'm not too uh, sogged up about that. The quarantine camp offers basic rooms that feature plastic sheets covering mattresses. Wait, so you're sleeping on plastic-covered mattresses? Is that what's going on? And you got to do this for two weeks? I mean, dude, literally, I'd rather be a monk in the woods (laughs) if it came down to that, if this becomes a thing. On two single beds, causing some travelers to push them together. Uh, Travelers receive three meals per day, can offer Chinese or Western food. There is no Internet access. Okay, well, that's probably good for you, not having internet access. But you can't really see what's going on. And you can't uh, report what's going on on social media, presumably. So, interesting developments. Interesting developments. But yeah, those are coming. Those are coming, man. Cultivating cheat. Now, I was going to talk about this, but I just... We've been talking so long. I think I'm going to leave this for next week if we do another live stream. I want to talk about seed oils. Because uh, that's something I've been red-pilled on as of late. Pretty interesting stuff going on there. Uh, and how that affects your health. And we could talk about, this is Beijing weaponizing your DNA. So they talk about one of these COVID testers sharing American DNA with China. Okay, so this is from the Epoch Times by James Gorey. Why is a U.S. DNA processing firm sharing Americans' DNA with China? If you've had a COVID-19 test, there is a good possibility that the folks in the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, and the People's Liberation Army have received your DNA. Okay. So these are the people who were manipulating genes and viruses in a laboratory. And some people thought that uh, in this lab they were doing gain-of-function research, which evidently seems to be what had been happening, to make this disease, which had slipped out of the laboratory, more effective against humans. Like the spike protein and everything like that, it was made to be particularly infectious to humans. So the fact that they're getting all of this DNA is not comforting, right? Our presumptual adversaries getting our DNA and figuring out how to perhaps create biological uh, attack. I mean, just connect the dots, right? The company contracted to conduct the COVID-19 test is Fulgent Genetics, a nationwide DNA sequencing and disease testing firm. According to the firm's website, its stated mission is developing flexible and affordable genetic testing that improves the everyday lives of those around us. Uh, And we're meant to believe that 
it does improve our lives. But it has deep dives to China. On November 29th, the Office of the Sheriff of Los Angeles County posted a letter to the Los Angeles County Board Supervisors. The letter stated that the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department would not be participating in the COVID-19 testing with Fulgent Genetics. The letter explained that the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Weapons of Mass Destruction Directorate... Okay, of all the things that I've said on YouTube, that's probably going to get me flagged, yeah. Warned Sheriff Alex Villanova's office of the risk that DNA samples from the COVID-19 tests that Fulgent Genetics was to provide would likely be shared with the Republic of China. Wow. That is pretty crazy, dude. Questions abound. Who or what is Fulgent Genetics Corporation? Why would an American company wish to provide American DNA samples? Why on earth would China even want DNA samples from Americans? For what purpose? How many American DNA samples do they have already? Most importantly, what does our DNA have to do with the FBI's concern with WMDs from China? <laughs> uh, man, this is just better than fiction, right? The firm was founded in 2011 uh, by Ming Heezy. So this American company founded by Ming Heezy. Okay, yeah, he sounds like an American chairman of the board of directors. And I'm not saying like, you know, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, President and Chief Executive Officer and James Xi, uh, Chief Operating Officer. So they have deep shots to China, right? Just like a lot of our, you know, education system, a lot of our universities do. Politicians probably too. And apparently Fulgent has been sharing American DNA from coast to coast with China. As noted in Villanova's statement, it's not only the PLA proxy company engaged in harvesting Americans' genetic material. There are others as well, and millions upon millions of people's DNA from America and many other places in the world have been sent to China. This is where things get very dark in the WMD department. China wants to create a biowarfare WMD that targets your DNA. That's what the Epoch Times just said. So that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. I'll have you come to your own conclusions about this. Biowarfare is a new thing. It's been used throughout history. Uh, yeah, we can talk about the history of that. It is pretty crazy. Biowarfare and DNA manipulation, just as AI and genomics enable DNA manipulation to help the human body fight all kinds of diseases, the same technology can also be used to create unique pathogens that only impact specific people. DNA-specific weapons can target a race, a gender, or even a family or individual with specific DNA structure. This isn't just a possibility, it's a probability, if not already a reality. Uh, and I have not clicked on that link. I'm not sure what he's referencing there. Let's let's go down the rabbit hole. Why not? Been here for three hours, haven't we? We got the time. This site can't be reached. Okay. What's more, at least in theory, there is no blowback to DNA-specific bioweapons because they harm only people with specified DNA characteristics. China's access to Americans' DNA is unquestionably a national security concern. But my whole question at this point is, America is such a diverse country that uh, I'm not sure how American DNA would be particularly unique to America. You know what I mean? So maybe they're doing it to study because in China, like, dude, they'll study anything. Like their scientists will make like human back chimeras. They'll like, uh, you know, make genetic babies in laboratories. What, what do they call them? Like DNA dolls or something like this. <clears throat> but 
yeah, those scientists are mad scientists. They'll do just about anything, evidently, as we saw in 2020. But who knows? Maybe this is one instance where diversity is actually our strength. Who knows? But that is uh, something interesting to note. They seem to have some national security concerns about this, and not only Epoch Times, but they're saying that the FBI, WMD department does about this particular development. So, predictability, the rapid spread of information itself is a problem. Yeah, privacy is important. That's why we love Monero. The internet has made it impossible to contain most secrets. If a technology exists for the right price, it will be made available to the bad guys. As with nuclear technologies being sold to the Soviet Union, right? Or in the case of the PLA, in Chinese scientific community, it will be developed. And if current experience with the CP virus is an indicator, deployed in full. Could be. Yeah, I don't think there's anything they won't do. This reality does not bode well for limiting the access and use of a new dangerous bioweapons, uh, new and dangerous bioweapons by China or any other adversaries of the United States. If Fulgen and others are helping China to develop DNA-targeted pathogens against Americans, there are no easy answers to such a threat, nor are there any good ones. Oh, is he not aware that we have vaccine technology? I mean, come on, dude. Of course, there are easy answers. It's called a vaccine that we can develop in six weeks. But seizing all materials, data, and assets and prosecuting such firms would be the start. Yeah, probably not going to happen. I'm surprised the FBI even had a concern about this. Um, You know, oh, what is this? Oh, I think I was going to go into the history of how Germany back in the 30s used these health passports in order to advance their pretty terrible program. They had done mass sterilization programs before. We had also done that in the United States. So there's a pretty dark history to this stuff already. Um, and we're starting to see this again, but we don't know our history, so we're kind of doomed to repeat it, right? And this was a little bit Orwellian. Uh, this is from AP. They're saying that Queensland is not punishing vaccinated people from coughing in public. The fact that this is even a concern, right? It's just like, What are we talking about right now? But we'll get to it. Check it out. They're saying that authorities in Queensland, Australia, are not punishing unvaxxed people who cough or sneeze in public. However, people who intentionally spit, cough, or sneeze on public officials or workers face fines and jail time under a public health order. (laughs) So this is a fun word right here, intentionally, right? Who makes that determination? Who makes that determination, right? Uh, What if you're being arrested or something like this? And you end up having a little cough. You know, maybe just finished smoking a cigarette or something. And you end up coughing up a storm. And then they argue you're coughing on them because you're some kind of terrorista. And then you get, you know, either thrown into a quarantine camp or something or you get thrown in jail. Who determines what is intentional? That is the question. So the fact that you can even be prosecuted or face fines and jail time for spitting, coughing, or sneezing is insane. Like, you guys understand that, right? That's insane. Now, nobody likes to be spit on. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But it, it's not like you're busting out, you know, like uranium-depleted spitballs. Or something, you know, it's not like, uh, 
you know, you're shooting somebody. It's just you're spitting, coughing, or sneezing on public officials or workers. So, yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. And a lot of this stuff comes as, in my opinion, a consequence of, like, the safe space movement uh, that we saw before we went into all of this. Like, over the last 40 years, one thing that I want to just note is that we've traded so much for security and particularly for comfort. I think the 21st century is going to show us that more souls can be lost actually to comfort than to violence and to antagonism or hatred. Uh, A lot of people, and I think a lot of Christians, they look at the last 50, 60 years of America and they say to themselves, haven't we been so blessed? Haven't we had so much grace from God? Uh, you know, we've been able to sit back and watch so many great movies and Hollywood TV shows and uh, all, all of these great medicines for my prostrate. I, I, like, people look at our modern society with all the comforts that it provides, all the entertainment, the gadgets, the gadgets, and they say, what a blessing from God. But all these things which have made life easier have, to some degree, had an influence on the dissolution of the family, on the dissolution of community, on the dissolution of people's spiritual connection with God. And I think that there are probably trend lines which could be drawn, which indicate that the more technological advancement that we have had without a concomitant increase in spiritual development, the more of a health consequence that these things have actually had and the more miserable we've actually become. Because a lot of people are miserable out there, yet they have phones which could access anything in the world, any form of entertainment, not only in modern times, but going back hundreds of years, right? You could watch like, you know, classical piano concerts from like the 50s, right? You could watch sports games from the 1970s or 80s. Like you could watch anything you want. The world is open to you. This is a whole other universe and now you're going to go into the metaverse. Now you're going to have... You know, any opportunity open to you to pleasure yourself however it is you want to, yet people are more miserable than ever. People are more existentially strained than ever. And it could be this hasn't been a development granted to us by God. It could be that all of these developments are actually indicative of a loss of morality and civilization and spiritual discipline and spiritual connection could be could be could be something to just ponder about just some thoughts but i think that anytime you have an advancement in technology you need to have an advancement in moral understanding and an advancement in love right you need to have an advancement in love and i think there was somebody by the name of like uh omar bradley and he was a commander in World War II. And he said, now we are a nation of nuclear giants, but we are a bunch of ethical infants. And this bodes not well for the world or something like this. And I think he was right. I think he was right. Because these technologies, and I'm going to tie this into crypto, it's not like they're by default good or by default bad. They're just technologies. They're tools. It matters who is using them. And if we don't have the, the spiritual acuity and the moral consciousness in order to handle the power 
then the power is going to flow over and drown us all out, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm thinking of power of kind of like, you know, like a river that's flowing through a system and the more technological developments, it's like more rain flowing into that river and without building up the banks of, you know, these river systems and keeping that water flowing, that power flowing in an orderly fashioned way, it's going to spill over and then just flood everything. And then order will be destroyed. And then does that make sense? So anyways, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Let's see what you guys are commenting. I'm rambling at this point. I like how you guys are still listening. Very good. Hey, Mateo. What's up, Merrimack? Have you seen the documentary Trust Ultra Trust, Naomi on Odyssey? Everyone needs to see it. If you haven't, it's about the COVID vaccine. I have not, but that sounds pretty interesting. I will go check that out. Pray for Australia. Yes, let's pray for Australia. Lord Father, please protect our Australian friends, and may they defeat the satanic global tyranny, which is coming down upon them. Gotta go. I'll watch the rest of the video later. Cheers, Moneros. Yes. Love you, Alan. Godspeed. I'm playing catch-up from the beginning. Robert M. What's up, Robert? Great take. I'm detoxing from the phone. Yes, yes. I have, uh, frankly, I think people have too much access to us. Like, I don't know if that's because I kind of have, like, a, an introverted bent. I'm kind of like an ambivert, you know. I can talk if I'm interested. Uh, but otherwise, my natural inclination is just to kind of sit back and read and, you know, smoke a pipe. Oh, that didn't sound right. Like a cigar or something like that. I don't smoke crack. But, like, I like reading and being in nature and, uh, you know, being in environments like that. I don't like when I'm in the middle of something and I get, like, a text or I get a call. In many cases, I like just having my phone on airplane mode. You know, you feel much more at peace. And I remember talking to somebody a long, long time ago. This is when I was working at, like, Burger King when I was, like, 16. And there's this guy who always came in. And I think it was this guy who turned me on to Alex Jones way back then and turned me on to conspiracies and stuff. He would always, you know, give us the latest on what's going on with uh, the globalists. You know, <laughs> he'd get his cup of coffee, his small little coffee, a couple creams and sugars, and like a like a sausage biscuit or something like that. But he would always have like stacks of news and papers, and he'd be telling us on what's going on. But he said he went to somewhere in Africa, and this place in Africa didn't have like cell services set up. They didn't have cell phone towers. They didn't have all the electromagnetic radiation that you get here in the West, which is now with 5G just going to be absolutely everywhere. Now, I, I haven't dug down the 5G conspiracies particularly, uh, but it sounds kind of interesting. And I do know that at one point there were a lot of warnings about phones uh, emitting a lot of radiation. So you don't want to like have it on your person. You know, it's good to have it like in a purse or a bag or something like that. I don't know if that's changed at all, and I imagine it's somewhat minute, but he said that when he got to this African country, like, he could think a lot better immediately just getting off the plane. Like, he had a lot of clarity in his thought. Uh, he just felt more at peace, and there's something to that, just being away from the Internet and everything that's going on. Like, I know people who try to keep up with the news, and one particular element— and, you know, they're looking at finance. They're looking at uh, what's going on with the economy. This person over here is checking out what's going on with the vaccine, the virus. And, you know, everyone's in their thing. If you try to keep up with all of it at once, you're going to drown. There's, it's impossible. But we're just overstimulated, dude. We're just way, way overstimulated. And 
that has consequences for being able to invest in a skill that takes time to develop or investing in relationships or investing in something which actually brings value to you but requires a little bit of a sacrifice, right? Because the fact that we can just immediately arouse ourselves with this, I'm going to say like demonic device, it, uh, it kind of makes us more shallow. Even though we can dive deep into rabbit holes all over the place, it makes us a little bit more shallow because, you know, I don't know if you guys have stood in like a grocery line lately, but it's like you stand in a grocery line, half the people have headphones on, the other half are on their phone, and there's no natural conversation taking place anymore between strangers. Like, that just doesn't happen as much. And even then, if you start to talk to somebody, uh, it's almost like you're incurring a cost to them. And you feel like, you know, am I taking up too much of this person's time just by, like, saying hi? Because maybe they have their phone in their hand, or maybe they're looking at it. And, uh, you know, people are busy and things like this. So it's like you don't know, like whether or not people want to talk to you anymore in like real life. You know, I, I like going to get my haircut because I always talk to uh, the haircut people there and I get to learn a little bit about their life. But that's what people used to do all the time. Like people used to actually have conversations with each other and get to know each other and meet each other. And now everybody's literally living as atomized people in their own world, even though they are in the same physical space right it's like community on a physical level is gone and community instead has been well you could say ascended but i'm going to say descended into like the metaverse right where everybody's just going to be like in their house on like a mattress with no sheets in the corner of a room with like an ivy hooked up to their arm of like you know uh vaccine liquids and then with their headset on and they're like talking to their friends. Oh, are you enjoying Travis Scott? <laughs> or maybe they have like, uh, you know, just maybe they're hotboxing their place with crack. I-, I don't know, man. But like, it's crazy. It's crazy uh, what's going on. It's like we're being separated from each other. And the end of that Matrix movie is becoming more of a reality every day where it's like everyone's in a pod and we're being harvested for energy. And our life is literally taking place in some kind of digital world. I could go on, but it's crazy. It's just, it's just wild, right? Mirror World Labs. The, wor- the worst phone radiation is the high-power, low-frequency stuff. Don't sleep next to it. Yeah, I had a buddy sleep next to his phone. Uh, or I think I had a buddy, had a buddy. But, like, he started to lose his hair. Crazy stuff. Even then, the impact has never been proven, so probably pretty safe. Psychological impact is another topic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Free trade is killing the U.S. Yeah, the U.S. has sold out a lot of its values uh, for money. And you see this in the conservatives, too. The reason why so many people like Trump when he came to the fore is because it wasn't just all about GDP. It wasn't about free trade. Oh, we need more jobs, blah, blah, blah. It was like, no, we have a culture we need to protect, right? And did he do that successful? I'll leave that up to you to determine. But like social values have been in a bear market for a long time, right? It's been about money. People think money fixes everything. And that's why when there's this poll, and I'll just go ahead and skip to this now. When there's this poll that came out, 
saying, can money fix the world? Can money fix the human condition? Fix the money, fix the world type stuff. I was like, uh, man, it's sad that people think this, right? Because this is not at all the case. But we've been conditioned over the last number of years to think that it's all about jobs. It's all about the free market. It's all about economic uh, efficiency. More profits equals a better life. More innovations, more technologies. Until you get to the point which we're now getting to now, where you have self-replicating artificial intelligence technologies, and you're, they're starting to put rifles on these dogs, these like metallic monster creatures <laughs> that have been deployed already, by the way, in places like Singapore and some other places in order to enforce social distancing. Yeah, now they're putting sniper rifles on these things. So good luck with that. I mean, is, that, is your Bitcoin going to fix that? <laughs> you know what I mean? But this goes to a fundamental point I also want to make, which is that you need to get your faith right. Uh, I used to be in the camp of, man, I want to escape to like Idaho. I want to go to Montana. I want to just get a little bungalow on the hill and just be out of the uh, way of all the tribulations which are coming. You know, have my own plot of food and have my water source, my solar panels and all this stuff, right? But I thought to myself recently, first off, it's just not a reality for me to be able to do that. If it is, maybe it's something to consider. But also consider this. I'm going to invite those of you who do have the money to do that to consider this real quick because you're going to have to make this decision soon given everything going on. Do you want to hedge against everything going on by separating yourself from your fellow men and going to the mountaintops, going to the hills, or do you want to rely on your fellow men? and become more integrated into a community of people that you can trust to find your tribe. You're going to have to make those choices soon. For me, I've found my tribe to be the Russian Orthodox Church. And my church particularly is closer to the city. And let me just go back. I want to see y'all's comments on this. Um, but I want to particularly move closer to the church, which require me to move closer to the city, which means I am opening myself up to more risk than I I'm exposed to right now. But for me, it's become more important to spiritually survive what's coming. Because if your spirit, because none of us survive any of this stuff. And I'm not saying we're all doomed for death because of uh, the vaccines or whatever. I'm just saying like, none of us make it out of this alive. You know, this is just a short term sorting process. It's like hungry hippos, right? What you're trying to do is not get eaten by the hippos, <laughs> which are trying to eat your soul as your soul like parades around on this board, right? You're trying to ascend into the next level. But you need to be part of a community. You need to be part, at least in my case, the body of Christ. And I would encourage all of you guys to uh, look into this as well. But like... For me to spiritually survive what is to come without losing my soul, which is the most important thing. You know, it's not food, it's not water, it's your soul, it's your spiritual health. Um, I need to be closer to the church. I just have to be. That's my trot. And I need to partake in the sacraments. I need to be part of this extended family that I've come to know and love. And with this love that I've come to find in my life, it's like... My physical well-being and my capacity to survive is now secondary to that. You know what I mean? I want to help these people because I know that 
what I have found can truly be the rock for a beautiful new civilization and, of course, for my salvation. Right. And I would encourage you guys to think about that. I would encourage you guys to think about that because, yeah, you could go lone wolf. You could go out there and you could live on like a thousand acres, growing your own food, hunting your own buffalo, whatever, right? Praying to the rain gods. But what's that going to be like for your spiritual health as you see the world just descend into the abyss? Maybe you'll survive, but will your soul and your spirit survive? That's just a question that I have for you guys. Uh, And not only that, but to survive, I think, to some degree physically in this new world in order to be able to resist the temptations that they're going to bring to you to get the vaccine and to get the ID, the passports, and everything else, which is going to be part of this new, just completely tyrannical, satanic system, you're going to need strong faith. You're going to need strong faith. I mean, they're coming out with all these studies. You get laid more if you get the vax. Uh, You know, you're going to be able to eat at your favorite restaurants. You're going to be able to travel to the beautiful Fiji Islands if you get the, you know, the stabby and all this stuff. Like, if you're rich... That's nice, but I think you're actually going to be more tempted than somebody who is like a middle-class worker who already has fewer options, right? So be aware of that. Be aware. I could go on and on about this, but that's something that I want to note. All right, let's go to talking about this idea here. Do you think that Bitcoin fixes the human condition? Now, Clearly what I'm about to say, according to this poll, is controversial. Uh, Because according to this poll by Lilly, of which there were 1,742 votes, the answer was yes, of course, by 63% of the people. Uh, Now, 22% know that's BS. That's what I said. Now, the Bitcoin world is kind of like a meme world. You know, a lot of people have fun. A lot of people joke around. That's fine. So I imagine a lot of people say yes, of course, because, you know, there's sort of like this maximalist meme culture uh, that a lot of people participate in. And I'm still trying to figure out if Michael Saylor is like legit serious about some of the things he says, because it's like, listen to this right here. Where's my Michael Saylor tweet? Uh, Yeah, check this out. This is just I don't know if he's joking. Listen to this. There's only one useful thing that any of us can do every day when we get up. One thing that matters above all. That one thing is convince someone to convert some other form of property into Bitcoin. There's only one useful thing that any of us can do every day when we get up. One thing that matters above all. That one thing is convince someone to convert some other form but yeah you see what i mean like i don't know if he's joking do you guys think he's joking do you think sailor the savior asap spurg is joking about this i don't know i don't know like he's not twitching like he usually does when he says that which indicates to me like he's channeling the higher consciousness he's channeling satoshi here you know i don't know but there's like that meme kind of culture that maximalist meme so i don't want to say like all these people legitimately think that Bitcoin is our salvation. But I do think a lot of people actually think this way. And I want to address that because in this time, a lot of people have a lot of 
obviously concerns about where the world's going. And people are looking for solutions, right? And some people go to politics, some people go to uh, Eastern spirituality, some people go to many different things. Particularly in the crypto sector, a lot of people go to Bitcoin. And they think if you fix the money, you fix the world. Um, this is very problematic. And I think that a lot of people who do this are not only prideful, because you presume to know a lot about the world when you say this. You, you presume to know how to fix the world, uh, which is a huge, tall order. Um, I, I dare to say I know the solution to this, but I know it's not Bitcoin. Uh, but there's also an element of greed involved as well. Because you know a lot of the people who are saying this are invested in Bitcoin. And the more people that take on this mentality of Michael Saylor right here saying that, okay, if your life has to have any purpose at all, any purpose at all, it should be to pump my hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin, or what am I saying? Hundreds of thousands of Bitcoins, billions of dollars, which is what he has. That should be your sole goal in life is to pump Bitcoin. Like, that is, uh, you know, that's kind of problematic, right? Uh, that's greedy. And that's kind of that's kind of bad, right? But <clears throat> it's a way to capitalize on, I think, secular despair. As I say in this uh, thread that I have here, fix the money, fix the world is a religious sales pitch used by people that don't understand the world and or want to make a buck off of your secular despair. Thinking that money can lead humanity to salvation is satanic and terribly misguided. In fact, one reason to be an owner of private cryptos is because you are go you are aware of the fundamental issues causing the world's decline, and are largely going uh, and they are largely going unaddressed, ensuring the decline will only continue whether the money is fixed or not. And then I conclude: these private cryptos grant you a hedge against the ongoing moral collapse of civilization and the rise of a technocratic authoritarianism that invariably follows. Trustless, private, fungible, and uncensorable money is considerably valuable in such a world. So, yeah, it really is. Right, I get into crypto, particularly private crypto, because I don't see this trend reversing. As we talked about earlier in the stream, people want to go back to normal, but I'm not sure what that means. And I don't even think they know what that means. Like, what was normal, 2019? With, like, big tech censorship and, uh, you know, coups against the president and, uh, you know losses of free speech and cultural Marxist indoctrination in the universities and 5,000 genders. Like, was that normal? <laughs> like, at what point do we go back to normal? And I only see the craziness accelerating because people don't want to acknowledge the fact that it's a moral issue. And the thing about the OG libertarians that I liked, like Mark Passio and Stefan Molyneux, is that they acknowledged that at its heart, this is a moral issue. This is a moral problem. And they understood that the state is violence, uh, taxation is theft, all these things, of course. But that doesn't mean you get rid of the state all of a sudden or it dissolves because it collapses under the weight of its own debt and its own incompetence or whatever you want to call it. And then you live in a utopia. No, another state is going to pop up if people don't have a proper moral education and they don't understand that violence is wrong and taxation is theft and things like this, right? And so that's why Mark Passio spread the word about natural law and told people about good and evil, what the definitions thereof are. And that's why Stefan Molyneux came up with UPB, 
universally preferable behavior, rational proof of secular ethics. That was important to him. And peaceful parenting and things like this played into that as well. They understood that it's not just about politics. It's not just about advocating for, you know, the Fourth Amendment, the First Amendment, these things, right? It's fundamentally about spreading love. It's fundamentally about reaching people by touching not only their minds but their hearts and by getting them to turn away from, you know, abusing their kids or whatever. Peaceful parenting, right? That's what you want to do. Or by acknowledging with a higher state of consciousness what's right, what's wrong, how you can better love not only yourself but other people and fight the demons in your own life. Like, that's important. And for me, I think orthodoxy is the answer to that, orthodox Christianity. That is sort of like a template, a model, which has survived 2,000 years for encouraging people to love and helping people do that through sacraments and through daily practices, a lifestyle which facilitates God's grace within us and allows us to love one another. It provides a template for that. And that's what makes sense to me. But this idea that libertarianism fixes everything, open borders, Bitcoin, certain politicians we could elect, blah, 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 that's a surface-level solution to band-aid and paper over a lot of the things that are actually going down on under. A lot of childhood abuse, a lot of people who have historical uh, sin, which is moving through their family that they have not reconciled and has just been passed on to them. Uh, you know, what do they call it? The photocopier of history and family abuse, whatever Stefan Molyneux talks about. He talks a lot about that a lot. Same with Steve Franson. He has some good comments on that. But yeah, it's ultimately a consciousness issue. We need to raise our consciousness. And to fix the human condition, human beings need to raise their consciousness. And they, in my opinion, need to accept Christ. And I know that's controversial, but that's what I believe. That's what I truly believe. And I don't think Bitcoin does that. And the reason why I advocate for Monero, one of the reasons, is because you can hedge against the ever-declining human condition with money that you don't have to trust other people with. That money other people can't see. The government can't see. The government can't seize. They can't do other things, right? They can't regulate. They can't blah, blah, blah. You trust the technology. Again, because technology is a tool. There's no moral character that surrounds technology. It does a particular function. And if that particular function allows you to transact with your fellow man outside of a system which is growing ever more evil and with other people that you don't even have to trust the moral condition of because, again, it's trustless, it's private, etc., like atomic swaps, for example, then that's optimal. That's what you want in this environment, not to mention it's fungible and all the other things that we talked about. That's why you want Monero. And that's my argument, right? Because as long as the human condition isn't being fixed and people are focusing instead on other things which ultimately doesn't fix this problem and have saviorism and things like this, well, the best hedge against that is not only your spiritual faith, of course, but Monero and private crypto. So, I think that those are incredibly undervalued. Let's go ahead and check our wonderful cryptos. And I think we're going to wrap this up. I could say more, but, uh, yeah, we've already covered a good bit. Looks like Pirate Chain's taken off a little bit. It's now about, now over a dollar. So, those of you who bought it, like, what? It got to, like, 75 cents down here. You bought the dip pretty good. We'll see if it continues the rally. 
Darrow's rallying a little bit. Monero's been trading in a range. It's been holding its value rather well compared to the rest of the market. But then again, it hasn't really appreciated with the rest of the market during the last bull run. But Arctic Mine thinks a pretty hair-whipping short squeeze is coming. Just based on the technicals, we'll see what happens with that. And there is a Telegram group. Uh, what's it called? Let me look it up for you guys. Let me know if you guys are in this Telegram group. It's like the Monero short squeeze, the Monero run, something like that. Uh, Josh Vale, you had asked me to join this a while ago. I think it's still going well. I haven't checked in with it, though, recently. Let's see what's going on. Uh, and I'll send it to you guys if you're interested. Um, let's see here. And thank you, by the way, for everyone who is still a patron of the channel. I told you guys I was not going to be making as many videos, but some of you insisted, like you, Josh. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. And I think I will... Um, where is this group? Marilla, Monero Gorilla Ops. Yeah, you can go there if you want stickers, which is cool. Oh, goodness. I apologize. Oh, yeah. Monero Run. It's just called Monero Run. If you want an invite to it, we've got 532 members, which is cool. And I think in 2022, there's going to be some interesting activity in Monero to be excited about. So, how many people we still got listening? Okay, cool. All right. So that to China. China! So we got Josh here. Uh, Brian Williams, okay. Michael Malice said it very well. I don't know how we get to anarchy, but the only thing I've seen that works is technology. Well, that's an interesting take. It's an interesting take. Anarchy is civilized behavior. Government is violent, uncivilized behavior. Those are interesting takes. So, yeah, um... If you guys have any last comments, I'd like to hear them. Otherwise, I think we're going to sign off because I think we've covered a lot. This is by far the longest stream that I've ever done. This is four hours of a lot of material just to catch up on a lot of things. Uh, remember, guys, to like the video uh, so that we can move up in the algorithms. It's pretty good info. YouTube is probably going to suppress it. No big deal, though. I'm going to put this on the Odyssey. going to put it on the Podbean for the MP3. And that is going to be that. And maybe we'll be back next week. But there was a lot that I wanted to catch up on here because uh, we're in the acceleration, ladies and gentlemen. Things are going on, and things are moving faster and faster and faster. Some people are like, we're in the eye of the storm. We're about to hit another wave. Could be. Could be. Josh asks, have you heard that Morgan Stanley owns 10% of MicroStrategy? No, I have not heard that. That is interesting. That is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, MicroStrategy works with the government, right? Michael Saylor. And a lot of Christians seem to be on board with Michael Saylor. Uh, Steve Franson, Jay Dyer, Tuck Carlson. They all seem to be giving him the benefit of the doubt. But we've made a couple of videos on Michael Saylor. And I will say I'm a little bit concerned about a spiritual state. Uh, I think he is a false prophet. And I think a lot of people follow him to their own detriment. I think that he's misleading a lot, a lot of people. And he's got every incentive to do so. He's in, he's in deep on Bitcoin, dude. He's all in, right? I think it's a bubble. I think it's a total bubble. I think the technology is not as good as Monero. Uh, Monero is better technology for money. Bitcoin is not digital gold. Gold can do things that Monero, or yeah, and Monero and Bitcoin can't do. Uh, you know, can be used for electronics. 
Uh, silver can be used to purify waters we talked about earlier. Uh, it can be used in many different technologies, especially green technologies, which are going to become more prominent now. And Bitcoin can't do these things. It's just supposed to function as money, right? And if there are other technologies which come along that can do that function better and are more permissionless, decentralized, trustless, etc., well, I mean, then it's time is numbered, right? It's time is numbered, as far as I can tell. And some people make different arguments. Well, it's uh, limited scarcity, digital scarcity, things like this. But is it really? I mean, there are thousands of other cryptocurrencies. I mean, Dogecoin is now being accepted, I guess, by Elon Musk, right? So who's to say what currency is going to end up being better? I mean, you're relying on a network effect. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So I, I could go into that argument, but yeah, Monero is better. That's what, like, I think the only crypto that Arctic Mine owns is Monero. That's it. Because he's a fundamental investor. He doesn't have any Bitcoin. He got out of Bitcoin a long time ago. Or so he says. I personally don't have any Bitcoin. I don't see the fundamental reason for it. Now, I think Darrow is interesting doing private smart contracts. Uh, I think Haven is interesting with what they're doing over there. I get some flack for that, but that's fine. I'm looking forward to seeing the success of any project which looks to allow people to privatize their financial life in this new 1984 type world. I think we should all aim for that. I think that's a great thing. Now, whether or not they're doing it successfully, I think Darrow is supposed to be out already. Uh, I think the mainnet is supposed to be out Q3 Q3 2021. It's not yet. Uh, I think they're still doing testing, but they look like they're ver they're working vigorously on that. So that's a good development. Um, Haven, Haven 2.0 is out. I was supposed to have Hawk onto the channel again in order to do an interview with him, but unfortunately we just didn't get to that because uh, of my situation that I talked about earlier. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's it, guys. Uh, I'll wait another couple seconds. To see if anything more comes through, because I think there's a lag between the video uh, that you guys are seeing and kind of the reality I'm in. But if not, I don't know. If not, I don't know. Bum, bum, bum. This was fun. This was fun. I'm glad I got to chat with some of you guys. Good to be live with you. Got a couple people tune in. I think we'll continue to do this weekly, bi-weekly. We'll see what goes on. But guys, remember to uh, check out social media. You know, uh, checks out on Twitter. Uh, Gab is becoming ever more interesting. Have I checked out CTO Larson's video on Haven? I did. That was a really good video. I would recommend everyone check that out. He makes a really good case for that. I like CTO Larson. He seems like a fun guy. Um, but yeah, check us out on the social media. Gab is looking ever more attractive, I got to tell you. I really like what they're doing over at Gab. They have their own payment processing system now. I think they call it GabPay. And if you don't know what Gab is, it's basically like Christian social media. And they don't allow any pornography onto their uh, social media. They ban it, but that's all they do in regards to censorship. Anyone can basically say whatever they want. And, uh, you know, they're Christian-based over there. And so most of the people getting banned on Twitter just make their way over to Gab. I may start posting more over there. I have a lot of respect for what they're doing. And they are oriented towards building a parallel economy, which is essentially what we're trying to do here too. So if we could work together and I could evangelize and proselytize Monero to them and uh, have them integrate that into their new Christian-based parallel economy, I think that would be really good for us and them and for the world. So go support Gap. I think they do good work over there. It's just so much more easy for me to you know, use Twitter, pull it up, because there's an app for it. Uh, Gab does not have an app, from what I know. 
unfortunately. You have to go on the internet and you got to sign in and stuff, which that extra couple seconds shouldn't be a big deal. But again, short attention spans, right? Paper Vigilante, what's up? Keep up great work. Awesome stream, bro. Thank you, Josh. I'm glad you were here the whole time. And those of you who don't know Josh, he is like our best friend of the channel. He's been here since the beginning. He was like, I mean, Josh, you were like the you know second or third subscriber to the channel. And what I didn't mention was we hit 1,000 subscribers. So it's great. We hit that 1,000 mark. And uh, it's just the beginning. You need that 1,000 mark. It gives you that credibility if you want to bring people onto the channel. Yeah, I got 1,000 subs. What's up, bro? But yeah, it's awesome. 1,000 subscribers is good. We're going to keep it up, keep it going. And again, look out on Twitter and the social media for like the little clips I'm going to be making of uh, uh, some of the good arguments for Monero and for private cryptos. Uh, that'll be a good project to do. But I think that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys for tuning in. It was good chatting with you guys tonight. And I will see you all next time. God bless, stay safe, and love you long time. Bye-bye.